listening to the best of Ron and Fez on Raw Dog Comedy Hits. Monday. Uh, there's one story and only one story out there today. That's Ray Rice, the video showing up of him punching his wife in his fa- in her face. And it's why we brought in sensitivity expert Gilbert Godfrey into the show today. Gilbert, how are you? Uh, I'm fine. I think he had every right <laughs> oh, to geez. punch his wife <laughs> in the face. As any married guy out there is probably saying, you know, any married guy listening, they yeah. say, a guy punched his wife in the face, and they're going, okay, yeah, all right. And what? what's the story here? Have you seen the video yet? No. Uh, we'll uh, have the video. I don't know where Shelby is today, but we'll have Shelby come in and put this up because they, they knew that he'd already knocked out his wife. But now we have at TMZ has put out the elevator uh, footage of him hitting his wife. And obviously it's, you know, shocked the planet. Oh, I got to see this. Yeah. Where is it? It's um. Now, who who hit who? What is this? Now, this is... Ray Rice. Oh, 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 of course. (laughs) Okay, so they're in an elevator in Atlantic City, and all we had known up to this point is that he had drug her out of the elevator. He got a two-game suspension for (laughs) spousal abuse, (laughs) which seems a little on the light side. Yeah. It seems a little on the light well, side. Well, they needed him for the yeah, game. Yeah, I, I would be the same way. <laughs> Gilbert is shocking yes. me because he's kind of pro Ray Rice. The yes. only person. Yes. The only person today that thinks that maybe Ray had a point here. All right, so here the two of them are in the elevator. Um, I'm not sure uh, what hotel. I'm hoping it was Trump's, but that's just for my own uh, reasons. Uh, we're not exactly queued up to where we need it to be, but all right, here they are on the elevator together, uh, and boom, there she goes. There's the wow. Left. He knocked her out. He knocked her out. Now let it run a little bit, too. Here's the thing about it that's surprising. This is the surprising part. So, so the fact that he punches his wife out so hard that it knocks her out totally, now's the surprising part. The surprising part is how calm he stays as if this is not... 
She looks, looks kind of hot time. there. Yeah, she's yeah. an attractive woman. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. She's an attractive woman. And especially face down on the floor <laughs> with okay. her skirt up. Okay. Yeah, Gilbert. I kind of like it. <laughs> okay, Gilbert, All right, all start. right. I'm getting kind of turned on. Yeah, all right, Gilbert. Maybe we should speed it forward. <laughs> no, <'cause I'm> <laughs> but the thing is, you can see his calmness with this, like he's taking the trash out. Yeah, she then, looks like she's dead. Uh, yeah, yeah. But he doesn't look like this. Yeah, is he's the trying first to. Time. She fell down like a rag doll when yeah. he picked her up. Yeah. It doesn't look like it's the first time. So obviously, uh, the world is looking to the NFL to jump back into this. Now, I was watching Herm Edwards on TV today, and he goes, well, this is rampant throughout our society, and I'm going, where? Yes. I've never yeah. seen anyone so, knock out so, their wife. I, I was riding up in the elevator today, and there was just some woman who worked in the building, and I punched her out. Yeah. Yeah, there's something about elevators yeah. that do that to a guy. I know everyone, you know, like Jackie Gleason with, you know, to the moon, but he yeah. never did. <laughs> he never did it. And if you listen to this tape, he does say, bang, zoom. <laughs> to the moon, Alice. But see, I think that's the big difference. If he would have said it, people would have thought, oh, he's being, you know, ironic, a little over the top. Ray Rice actually did it. You know, I was once hanging out with Ray Rice. <laughs> no. And a pretty girl walked by and he said, boy, I'd like to hit that. Yeah. 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 You didn't know. Yeah. You didn't know exactly. I had no, I had no idea at the time yeah. that he meant it literally. Now, Gilbert is here to, uh, to help a nation get through this. Gilbert's going to be performing at the Helium Comedy Club in Philadelphia this Thursday through Saturday. Then again, he's going to be at Yuck Yucks in St. John's, Canada, September uh, 18th through 20th. That's way up there, Gilbert. Yeah. So if you just happened to be in Canada. <laughs> yeah. You could catch both gigs. Yes. That would be the real fan. And and I've got a, a, a podcast yeah. called Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast right. that you could hear on GilbertGottfried.com and subscribe to on iTunes or SideshowNetwork.tv. All right. Nice. And then, of course, you've also got Rubber Balls and Liquor, uh, your book, and that's oh, out yes. at Amazon. Well, it's also on GilbertGottfried.com. You can get an autograph copy. Really? Yeah. Really? And, of course, you're you're healing a world when it comes to the Ray Rice uh, video. Uh, yes. The Ray yes. Rice video. <laughs> so you think... These things happen. Two games is enough suspension. Uh, yes, yes. More than enough. I think they're being a little harsh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how the NFL is going to come back. I don't know how they can, you know, justify it. I don't know how they can say, because they actually just suspended people longer. I, I think the defense will be, she just doesn't listen. <laughs> see, that's... <laughs> see, again... Fine as a joke. Same with the Jackie Gleason. Works as a joke. But when you actually see it. Yes. Yeah. A little more, a little more difficult. Yes, a little more difficult. Uh, what do you think is going to happen, Chris? Does the NFL open this back up, or no way? They they, they let this drop. They let it slide. You don't watch TV. I had on every channel today, and everyone is horrified 
horrified that this happened. Well, other than the people of Baltimore who would love to win another you know, uh, Super Bowl. <laughs> the, people of, the people of Baltimore seem to be okay with it. See, so if you were running that yeah. team, yeah. Uh, you'd let him back in, too. It's like, it's like if he's the guy who's going to help you win. Right. Nothing gets in the way of the money, is yeah. what you're saying. As long yeah. as you can play. He, he could have, it could have been a clip of him stabbing her to death <laughs> Right. Elevator and you well, he got a little angry. That yeah. happens. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I guess we're looking at it as at least he's not OJ. That's the that's the only kind of good news this is. And then OJ basically got away with it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he did get away with it. Yeah. And until what did he get in the big trouble for? Uh, he for uh, strong arm and some armed robbery for yeah, memorabilia. Yeah, he hit a man. That's when everything changed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Chopping two people's heads off. Yeah, that, yeah, that you can deal with. Yeah, a little bit. Shelby, what do you think is going to happen with this? Nothing at all. Like they already gave him the suspension. Now it's just going to make them look weak if they go back. Well, someone brought up double indemnity, and I go, that might work. That you might know. work if you're John Garfield. <laughs> yeah. or, no, no, it's Fred McMurray. Fred McMurray and Edward G. Really Robinson. Good. That's good that you went yes. back for that. Um, yeah, yeah. See, I can't let myself slide. Uh, uh, John, uh, John Garfield was Postman Rings twice. Yeah. And uh, double indemnity, uh, um, Fred McMurray, Edward G. Robinson. And also in. Um, and with John Garfield and Postman Rings Twice is the actor who was the original uh, Fred Flintstone. Is that right? Yeah. I never even noticed yeah. that. Uh, 866-RUN-0. And he's wearing a loincloth. Oh, yes. And he screams yabba-dabba-doo <laughs> yeah. for some unknown reason. <laughs> well, you know, finally they found a place for him. Yes. That's the good thing. Um, let's go over here to... Uh, Jason, Jason, you're uh, on the Ron and Fez show. Now somebody's got their thumb on the thing on the other thing there, Fez. Keep an eye on it. There we go. We got a new intern. Hey, Jason, how you doing, buddy? You can hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, uh, the NFL, I understand, cannot suspend them any longer since they've already suspended them according to the players' agreement. But the Ravens, if they choose to, they can withhold them from games and kind of suspend them that way. Also, I'd like to ask you, what would Dracula think of all this? <laughs> I like him because he drew blood from her. <laughs> now, the other thing is, we have to remember, she's still with him. Yes. Well, you know, it's like uh, he just he just punched her a few times. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's not like he cheated on her. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing is like you look at them and it does not seem like this is the only time that happened. You know? Yeah, yeah, like like now she basically sweeps aside the floor of where she's going <laughs> to land. <laughs> Lays out a blanket. Yeah, now now the agreement is, uh, can I fall on that side? That way my head doesn't hit the door. Oh. <laughs> um, 
But, you know, football is so big in this country. How big is it? <laughs> oh, football is so big in this country. They, it <laughs> seems like whatever happens, as long as football happens that Sunday, the nation relaxes. Yes. The nation is like... And she certainly looked relaxed in that yeah, video. Yeah. She, was, <laughs> she was comfortable. Um, let's go over here to Al. Al in Maryland. How you doing, Al? Good, Ronnie. I'm a Ravens fan. I always try to come up with good movie quotes for these kind of situations. And what I was thinking about this time was the best, one of the best movie lines ever was from the movie Winner's Bone. Nobody saw it. But it was, I done told you to shut up once with my mouth. Now, here's the thing. You're a Ravens fan, right? How do, the, how do the Ravens fans feel about this guy? Did, did you watch the game yesterday? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that tells you how we feel. When, when does he play? See, that's the thing about the Ravens. Well, the backup fumbled. Yeah. They, yeah, they're awful. So they will welcome him back in two games happily. All right. Yeah, you had to go listen to yourself on the radio. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, turn up the radio! He oh. <laughs> could give it seconds before he could hear his voice. I, I just, there is a strange thing about this country and their love of football that I believe is above all else. All else. Sundays shut down so people can watch football. If the Nazis came in but, but added another night of football, I think people would go and be okay with it. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, here's uh, Shepard. Shepard, go ahead, buddy. You're on the air. Yeah, you know, you can't really jump to judgment. Like, there's no audio. You don't really know what she said to him. Oh, my God. <laughs> See, this is... This... Because, uh, you know, if you listen... I, I heard the audio, and she said, Can you please punch me? <laughs> <laughs> so, so this was done on request. Yeah. She said, uh, you can hear her say in yes. this video, You know what turns me on? When a guy punches me really hard in the head. <laughs> Eight six six Ron zero Fez eight six six Ron zero Fez. Hey uh, Sean in North Carolina, how you doing, buddy? You're on with Gilbert Godfrey. Hey, uh, that was a brutal punch she took. I just really hope she's got that insurance that'll help pay her bills if she has to miss work. Yeah, um, I wouldn't know about them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> No idea what's going on over there. Yeah. <laughs> um, Gilbert Godfrey is in with us. Helium Comedy Club in Philadelphia, Thursday through Saturday. Then Yuck Yucks in St. John's, Canada. Uh, and his very own podcast. Gilbert Godfrey's amazing, colossal podcast. You could hear it on GilbertGodfrey.com. Subscribe to an iTunes and SideshowNetwork.tv. Have you been able to get Shecky Green on your show? Do you yet? know something? Yes. We're gonna we'll play it soon. Yeah. Uh, after that whole thing happened, yeah. uh, just so the audience knows, uh, I was a big event at the Friars, and Shecky Green uh, got up and walked out when I was on because he was offended by my language, and I was shocked. God, num tw twice. Number one, that he could get up, and two, that he could walk. <laughs> and, and, but he got up and walked, 
And then eventually, I uh, he uh, he said he would come on the podcast. Wow, I love that. And he stayed on for like about half a minute <laughs> and said, we can't talk about this here. We got to talk face to face. And I said, do you understand the concept of a podcast and a telephone? Do you understand what a telephone is, Shecky? You can't talk face to face on a telephone. It's like that and the light bulb are still kind of new to him. <laughs> so, unless he can sit down with you, uh, yes. he doesn't want to discuss it. Uh, yeah, so thanks for coming on the radio, to, uh, yeah, and calling me over the phone on yeah. the radio to tell me we have to talk face to face. You didn't seem like you took it too hard that he was upset. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> it's not exactly like one of those names, like how years ago, if Ed Sullivan hated you, your career was like over. Johnny Carson, yeah, that yeah, been bad. yeah, Johnny. Carson, and yeah. there were people like that that yeah. could destroy. I don't think at any point in show business anyone said, Oh, God, I gotta make sure to make things better with Shecky Green, or he'll destroy me. Yeah, Shecky Green, one phone call he makes, and you're over, right. <laughs> Check it in, and when he makes the phone call, he goes, this has to be face-to-face -face later. Yes. I can't do this now. I can't talk to you right I'm now. I'm going to start doing that with American Express. Yes. This is not the type of thing I can discuss yeah. on the phone. <laughs> I've got to get together with you face-to-face. -face. This is too important. Yes. Well, who was it? Paulie, remember? And Goodfellas would never talk on the phone. Oh, oh that's yeah. right. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> he would have a phone down the street and then set up a meeting later. Oh, maybe you're only black and white movies, though, Gilbert. Oh, you, oh yes. <laughs> but I did uh, manage by accident to catch Goodfellas. Oh, that was in color and had sound. You're a, when did this happen? <laughs> you're a Turner Classic Film type of guy, right? The uh, old yeah, school I, I was on with... Uh, yeah. I, I was on his show, uh, Robert Osborne, yeah. who's always hosting those. And he interviewed me. I picked four movies. And then he came on my podcast. <laughs> For a half a minute. Yes, for a half a minute. And then said, I can't do this. He, and then he he showed up and said, I can't show up here. I have to talk to you face to face. And then he walked out, which I didn't understand. <laughs> what four films did you pick? Oh, okay. Yeah. I picked the original of Mice and Men. Okay. With uh, uh, Lon Chaney Jr. and Burgess Meredith. Uh, the Conversation with Gene Hackman. Unbelievable. Um, freaks. Uh, that was Todd by Browning. Todd, Todd yeah. Browning, yeah. yes. And uh, what was the the uh, midget's name in that? Something, some Hans or yeah. Boris or yeah. some weird. I forget his name now. Someone will call in. I know it. And 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 uh, the swimmer with Burt Lancaster. Wow, yeah, from like nineteen early fifties, I guess, right? Yeah, or like sixties, because yeah. it was already like Suburbs, dealing with. Yeah. yeah, it was dealing with the American dream going yeah. bad, and but. Uh, also, in The Swimmer, in one scene is Joan Rivers. Is that right? Yeah. 
You know, I always thought that Joan should have got more acting things because she, you know, she was one of those people that she said to me that she considered herself an actor that was playing a comedian. You know what I mean? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So yeah. when she went on stage, she got into her character and, you know, was relentless with that character. It, she, in her documentary, she was doing, uh, there was one scene where she was putting on a one-woman show. Right. And she said, if they hate the comedy, I don't care. I'll still do it. Yeah. Uh, she goes, but if they if they say anything bad about the acting, then that's it. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's go over here to, uh, Co let's go to Kobe. You're on the Ron Fez show. How you doing, buddy? Yeah. Uh, this, uh, Ray Rice thing, uh, I'm a Steelers fan, so I, I could care less if they just, you know, got rid of him forever. But I, I think maybe the Ravens have some kind of clause, uh, in their contract. If, you know, like Ray Lewis, if your name's Ray, you can pretty much do what you want to get away with. Oh, yeah, because Ray Lewis was apparently a, involved with a murder somehow. Yeah. And they're actually building a statue. And I'm not even making that up. They're making a statue to him in Baltimore. And, and he has a knife in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's actually burning clothes. Yes. In a, <laughs> into a trash bin. It's a statue of him <laughs> wiping his fingerprints off the gun. <laughs> It, it, like, you can't sit around and not, you know, also blame the fans for, you know, this is a, a, a violent, crazy game, and we act like, all right, we're going to make these guys, there's already like, what, 25 guys that are, for one reason or another, suspended yeah. right now, yeah. as we speak. It's the first weekend. So, it's this violent, crazy game, and then we think that they can turn it on and off, but... It is what it is, you know. These people are like this all the time. Not all of them, but a lot of them are, are raised in this game, and it's an insane one. There she look. It's running on TV. See it a little better there. It's nice that he goes and gets her feet back too, so that the doors don't close on her. Unbelievable! And who walks up here? Who just walks up? He didn't even start pacing back and forth or no, anything. Yeah, like, no, he couldn't out. have been calmer. When, when I walk off an elevator, even if I didn't do anything, I feel kind of more awkward. <laughs> it's, uh, it's unreal. When, when people fart on an elevator, it's more upsetting than it's this true. guy almost killing his wife. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. Because here's the thing: if he was smoking, he would, everybody in this country would be outraged. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> if, if he lit up a Marlboro, no one would be able to believe it. See here, this is what I like too. The news is bringing on experts to explain to us not to punch your wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, you've got to use words. Uh, you've got yes, to use well, words. Uh, I, you know, being punched in the face can be kind of painful at times, and uh, it it's I I love the experts. I'd yeah. love to go on one of those shows. Yeah, as an expert and say, well, medically, if you get punched. 
in the face, you could have a bruise after that. <laughs> and, uh, oh, thank you, doctor. Uh, here's our buddy, Hard Rock Johnny. Johnny, how are you, pal? Good boys. I, I, first of all, I, I love the, the older woman who kind of, I think, is sort of heading towards the elevator and then's like, I'm not getting in there with those two. Yeah. And I honestly wish there was some sort of audio just so he, I want to hear him explaining to the people when the door opens and he's dragging her out. What exactly does he say to them? Like, oh, she's just really drunk or she's tired. She has narcolepsy. Well, like, if I'm this trying was, to figure out. Yeah, if this was the TV show, what would you do? <laughs> all, these, all these people would fail because they did nothing to yeah, help. Every single person on the show would say, uh, well, I would yell out, I just punched my wife in the head. <laughs> yes. Now, uh, Johnny, I'm going to ask you, Have do you know anyone who has ever punched their wife before? Absolutely not. No, yeah. I mean, it's not something I know anyone who's done. If you saw the elevator and they were yelling in each other's faces or poking fingers or, you know, pushing back and forth, you'd be like, well, that's unacceptable behavior. You guys need help. But to lean back and punch this, it looks like 98-pound woman in the face and yep. knock her out and then slowly drag her out while somehow keeping her skirt from coming up. You know, that it seemed like he it seemed like he knew how to drag someone in a skirt. This doesn't happen. And yet they're telling us this is rampant. Well, in fairness, maybe yeah. she didn't iron his shirt or something. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that happens. And she, she takes a little swipe at him in the lobby. Like, I mean, but it looks like something like they're playing around. Like, she's like, oh, cut it out. Like, like it's a tiny little swipe. Like, I, I mean, clearly nothing is enough that you'd want to punch your wife that hard or punch your wife at all. But I, honestly, obviously, you're not married. I didn't say I haven't thought about it. I just yeah. said I haven't done it. But, you know, and it's such a quick, it's just a quick left. It's just like, boom, and it's like down. Like, it's like a Tyson fight. Yeah, like in a movie. When you watch someone get punched and go down that quick, you go, oh, it, it's, you know, <laughs> right. who can punch that hard? Yeah. Well, there's always the scene in the movie where if you don't want your buddy to go in with you, you knock him out with oh, a yes. gun. <laughs> or, or you whack them over the head with a hammer, and then, then yeah. they just wake up uh, a few minutes later, shake right. their head, and they're fine. Yeah. Yeah. After their brain damage, after the bleeding of their brain. (laughs) Now, this got sent to me. The Ravens uh, put out a statement that they say Janae Rice deeply regrets the role she played the night of the incident, which is, you know, nice. That's nice. (laughs) She she regrets being a punching bag? Yeah. What was her role? I think that uh, was a joke there, Johnny. I think people are sending me jokes. All right, Hard Rock Johnny at the Hard Rock in Times Square. Guy boys. Talk to you later, buddy. Here's Dave in Delaware. Hey, Ronnie B. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. You know, the, the Ravens guy here, Rice. Uh, you could beat the shit out of your old lady, but show a tit. Just one inkling of a second. That is true. Every- Janet Jackson has never gotten past the fact that someone pulled her top down and she showed a very small amount of nipple. No, that shocked the country. But was there any nipple showing? Not, there, there was. No, there remember, was. she had that like little that, buzz that saw. weird square <laughs> metal thing. And metal, I thought, yeah. oh, this is a big turn on. <laughs> Didn't work for you, huh? Yeah, nah. Yeah. 
Uh, but yeah, that got a much bigger deal than this video of a guy knocking out his wife. Right, and they claim the moral clause of football, how it's, oh, it's a family event. No, it's not. No, it's never been. It's alcoholism, drug abuse, wife beating, you name it. I remember when I was a little kid, my dad took me to an Eagles game, and I honestly felt like he took me to a riot. I'm like, I feel, <laughs> there was so much fighting, and I'd never seen adults punching each other. And uh, I was looking at him like, I do not understand. Because I'm like four or five. I don't know where... Where are we here? And I remember I stood in between my dad and my uncle the entire game. And I was just, my head was on a swivel. Um, here is, um, here's, uh, here's Mike in Chicago. Go ahead, Mike. Hey, oh, hey Mike, how you doing? I'm sorry, this is Mike Collins from Chicago. Yeah. Listen, I was at a show at Zane's in Chicago, and I went to go see Gilbert, and I started heckling Gilbert. It was probably one of the funniest things. He stops his show, Gilbert, how are you? And lit me up for literally 20 minutes in the hopes that I would say something to be a little wittier or heckle him some more. And honest to God, I took it like a man. It was, it was probably one of the funniest times I've seen Gilbert. Gilbert, I just want to tell well, you. Man, why would you brag about heckling and, and stopping his act? I, you know what? I, I just, it was just one of those situations where Gilbert said something and he mispronounced it. And I just had, I don't know why, it's just one of those days. I threw a shot, you know, figuring, I, you know, it, it would be funny. It wasn't really to tackle, so to speak, but Gilbert took it that way and just fired me up relentlessly. Took you on the so. elevator ride, did he? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can never understand why somebody would go to a show and then decide to themselves, I want Gilbert's attention over here. You've been doing this too oh, long. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're going to be able to handle yourself. Um, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Gilbert Gottfried is here with us today, and he's incredibly busy. Helium Comedy Club, Thursday through Saturday. HeliumComedy.com for tickets. Then... Uh, Yuck Yucks in St. John's, Canada, September 18th through 20th. And Gilbert has a big podcast now. Yeah, Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. You could hear it on GilbertGottfried.com and subscribe to it on iTunes and SideshowNetwork.tv. And also on my uh, on GilbertGottfried.com, find out my schedule and get an autographed copy of Rubber Balls and Licks. And dirty jokes. <laughs> Rubber balls and liquor. The first joke most of us, first dirty joke. Oh, yes. Most of us yes. ever learned. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's go over here to uh, here's Cigars and Scotch. Go ahead, buddy. Oh, God damn it, Ray. I said, let's go hit some slots, not slots. Oh, that's awful. That's just terrible. <laughs> that's just, just tasteless. There's, there, there's uh, a line. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah line. I think you're cross. <laughs> sir, <laughs> sir, I demand a public apology for that. Sir. Yeah. I demand a phony apology from your PR company. You know what? Uh, <laughs> That's one thing you could always say about Joan Rivers is she never. Oh, yes. Never apologized yes. to anybody. Uh, they, and they've asked for about 12. 
Oh, from oh her. yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's Dimitri. Dimitri in Houston. Hello? Hey. How y'all feel doing today? You're on the air, bro. Uh, I just want to know, like, okay, about the Ray Rice situation. Yeah. The first, the first video was released by TMZ, correct? When he was dragging her out of the out of the, the elevator and stuff. Okay, so he got suspended, and now they releasing this video of him actually hitting her. Like, what's what's the motive? What's the motive that he hit her? No, what's the motive that TMZ has where they keep releasing? Is there going to be a third tape? Like, well, what? Are, I, how much footage do they have, and what? Are, what are their mo- what is their motive to keep on releasing these videos? You know, the suspension has taken place. You publicly apologized. You still got married. You still committed to them. What is their motive? Well, their motive would be to get people to look at this video. That's their job. They probably paid somebody off in the building to turn over this video. Now, the funny thing is, they were able to get their hands on it, but the National Football League said, we never saw it. All they saw was the video of her being drug out into the hall. <laughs> and and they that's, that there's two nothing games. unusual about that. <laughs> that's two games. Yeah, you know that? Yeah. A lot of guys drag their wives out <laughs> of the elevator unconscious. So that, you know, TMZ is doing the TMZ thing. You know, just in the same way that if Gilbert walked outside and dropped his pants, it would be on TMZ. That's their job. That's if anyone would bother to film it. <laughs> you know, if I drop my pants, everyone would go, all right, shut your cameras off. It's really that's, that's enough. That's enough. But do you see what I'm saying, Dimitri? They're, they have no motivation other than to get eyes to look at their product. Yeah, but I mean, like, they, they kind of, they're trying to ruin this man. Like, I mean, he, he's already, the embarrassment's already there. The judgment's already there. He's been suspended. He's without pay. I mean, there's a lot of stuff happening to him right now. And I mean, you know, if if, if you would just look at the situation, because it's hard for anybody to judge if you haven't been there. But, I mean, it's, it's like they're still trying to gut him. See this, see, this is why we don't say in this country, you will be uh, tried by a, a jury of black guys. <laughs> so they also say you will not have a black doctor or accountant. <laughs> so, Dimitri, you're saying they should have said what TMZ should have said. <laughs> that Ray has gone through enough. Let's not put this thing out. <laughs> That's not the way the world works, dude. I'm not saying he went through enough, but I'm, I'm like I said, I'm just trying to see like, are they trying to get him banned from the NFL completely? Because I mean, this, this, this is not the first guy that's done that. Yeah, but see, the thing is, if more guys did it and they had it on video, TMZ would put it up. Their job is to get people to go to TMZ. That's that's their job. Yeah, I understand that, but I'm I'm saying, like, they already got their work, and he got suspended. I, I, I don't see, like, what else they want to do. Like the last guy had said, the NFL under the, you know, the Players Association, he can't get suspended anymore. So what's the motive of them to keep 
I mean, you, you I, I mean, it, it, it really this embarrasses the NFL and the commissioner as much as uh, as anything else. That people are forced to set look at this and go, look at this violent behavior. Oh, by the way, is it that much different than what happens on Sundays? Exactly. You know? We like a violent game in this country. Thank God his wife was unconscious when it happened. <laughs> because to witness this. Yeah. She didn't have to see it. So in a way, Ray did a nice yeah. thing. I think her quote was actually, I remember getting on the elevator. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and... and, and uh, just to go along with what this man's saying, and what was the elevator's excuse <laughs> for going up right. all those floors? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dimitri, thanks for that very interesting... What were the lights <laughs> on that elevator? Why were they lighting up like that, going two, three, four, five? <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it, folks. All right, thanks. Thanks, <laughs> Gilbert. You've been great. I used to watch Gilbert on Up All Night USA a long time ago. Big fan. Thank you, fellas. I really appreciate oh, it. Oh, thank you. All right. Have a good day. Here's uh, Paul in New Jersey. Hey, Paul. Guys, if you look at that tape, I mean, after he punches her in the face, she hits that railing pretty hard. There's a steel railing going around the three sides of the walls. I don't think his punch was that bad. I think it was her head hitting that railing that really caused the knockout there. All right, so the punch wasn't so bad. It's just the fact that she was knocked into a steel railing. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm not saying the punch wasn't bad, but I'm yeah. saying, yeah. I don't think that's what knocked her out. I think it was, if you watch it close enough, she hits her head pretty hard on that, on that steel railing. So I think that's what caused, you know, the KO there, not his punch. I am now concerned that any woman listening to this show will never stop throwing up. Um, to this, uh, these. So, can I just tell every guy out there before you punch your wife, yeah. make sure there's not a steel railing, yeah. railing around there? Your Honor, all I did was pull a trigger. I had no idea. The bullet is really <laughs> to blame here. If you tell me he was killed by the trigger, then yes, I'm wrong. Yes. Then that's my fault. <laughs> Um. All right. Here is uh, uh, here's John. John, you're on the Run of Fez show. I think uh, Mike Tyson said it first when he said uh, everybody's got a plan until they get hit. I would love to see him debate Gloria Aldred on uh, TV tonight. Well, the thing about Mike Tyson is, I bet he can't believe that this isn't him somehow. <laughs> <laughs> He probably thinks he's looking at a Mike Tyson impersonator. That's actually what Mike's fights used to look like and last about that long as well. The Ray Lewis uh, video of him just cold cocking his tiny wife is out there. Uh, the Ravens and the NFL now have to figure out a way of dealing with whatever fallback they're going to get. But by our callers, this isn't going to be as overwhelmingly negative as one would expect. There are plenty of guys out there who are honestly like, yeah, but, but. <laughs> um, here's, um, let's go over here to uh, Lewis. Lewis, you're on the Run and Fed show. 
Hey, Ronnie, thanks for taking my yeah. call. Uh, in Ray Rice's issued apology, he said this is a one-time incident. Now, he, he's either uh, completely oblivious or he's a lying fuck because anybody that's ever stepped foot into, into a casino knows that every single spot on that casino floor, elevators and in the rooms, everything, is on camera. So if he's going to if, if he's going to claim that this is a one-time incident, I seriously do not believe that whatsoever. Because he doesn't he doesn't have a control in a in a place where he knows he's being filmed. I, I'm just saying by the fact that he didn't hit her and then do a oh my god what have I done trying to pick her up you know crying looking to the to the skies why he looked as calm as if it, he had dropped his car keys. He looked yeah, okay with it. And you say he's a lion fuck? <laughs> oh, yeah, that sounds like fuck. a Disney film. <laughs> the lion fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's the circle of life. Yes. <laughs> Just by the way of the attitude that you can see in that video, you can tell that's not the first time that girl's got a shot at So. I I would agree with you a hundred percent. Everything about this looks like this has taken place before, you know. Uh, he's just not freaked out enough by it. You would think he would be, you know, if we're going to blame the rail, you know, then he would be like, "Oh my God, you hit your head on the rail." Normally, like if your wife stubs her toe, you're like, "Oh, free. oh my God!" You know, but he just couldn't be calmer. It's like the wolf in Pulp Fiction. He was just a cleaner, like he take was. Care he of was really. Oh, like, yeah. you have some cleaning products around here. Yes. <laughs> this is good coffee. <laughs> Gilbert Godfrey in with us. Helium Comedy Club in Philadelphia, Thursday through Saturday. Also, uh, St. John's in Canada. And you can go to his website, gilbertgodfrey.com, to check out all of his schedule, as well as the podcast. My podcast, uh, Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. Subscribe to it on iTunes and SideshowNetwork.tv. Um, here is um, here's Chris. Chris, you're on the Run of Fest show. Yeah, man, I think uh, I think Ray Rice was being humane about it. You know, the old joke, what do you tell a woman with two black eyes? And uh, nothing, she's already been told twice. Well, he was just being humane. He just punched her one time good enough to knock her the fuck out so he didn't have to tell her again. And you it, just might be a redneck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yes. If you punch your wife and give her two black eyes, <laughs> you just mind be your redneck. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think they'd rather see their wives with two uh, black guys than one black guy. I think that's. <laughs> I think that's the whole thing. Some of these, I gotta admit, some of these calls have got me nervous. <laughs> Um, here's uh, Dave. Dave, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, Ronnie. I just want to say, long live the vet, number one, with the high-rise cheap seats. They yeah. were the vet. And the other thing was, TMZ did us a, a solid, man, because uh, they're warning us of the future Nicole Brown Simpson incident that's about to occur. Um, 
You know, think about it. He's he's volatile, that dude. Or maybe he's getting it out of his system by punching her every week. And now he won't kill her. Wasn't Ray in here one time? Yeah, he was. And he's just a a tiny guy, and he looks like he would be one of the Jackson brothers. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) he's a very sweet looking guy, not a big guy himself. Soft spoken. Was very soft spoken. Uh, I didn't get on the elevator with him, so I can't 100% cover for him. But I have to admit, I mean, I wouldn't have said there's a guy, you know, I didn't pick up a Chris Brown vibe no, from him. And there hasn't been anything else bad with, like, anything, any controversy with him in the rest of his career. This is the, this is the, this is the thing. Well, yeah, but don't people even say this about child molesters, you oh, know yeah. what I mean? Like, <laughs> You know, it's like not like they normally do it in public, but you can't now, now believe. You, now you're going to get a bunch of callers going, well, the way kids dress nowadays, they're just asking for right. it. <laughs> we're, we're really not that far away from that conversation. Yeah. Uh, Dave in San Francisco. Hey, Ronnie, you look like it was rehearsed. The way she fell down and after you took her out and dropped her on the marble floor, I think they rehearsed with the carpet on there. Uh, look fake. <laughs> God. God, is it possible to hate your own callers? <laughs> Scott in Florida. Hey, guys. Uh, you know, just to put a little different perspective on this, it's a good thing he did knock her unconscious because then if he or someone else happened to have sex with her, she would not be able to accuse any of them of rape, according to CeeLo Green. Yeah, it's. <laughs> <laughs> That actually came out this week, too. Uh, Mike in New Mexico. Mike in New Mexico. Yeah, hey, Ronnie, uh, I was listening to Jim Florentine earlier, and he said that some sports reporters and the NFL had seen that footage. And another thing, if now that the footage is out there, how is he not facing charges for this shit? How, how is he above the law? Well, that is probably where, you know, that he was already charged and let go with going to classes. You know, he's taking some kind of anger management classes. Uh, yeah, I think it, it helps if you're a sports star in this country and you do something wrong. There's no doubt about it. If he was just a guy down the street, I can't imagine that anybody would be like, you need to take some classes for what you've done. Um, you, you couldn't do. You couldn't walk into the Seven Eleven and punch the clerk and knock him out. I don't understand what because they're married. I don't get it. Um, here is um, here's Jason in Alabama. This should be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it's staying with our theme show today. Jason in Alabama. Hey, listen, I, first of all, I want to say, uh, Gilbert, the podcast is so funny. You've got to be just about the funniest person alive today. It's so fun to listen to. That's what funny and, people say. When funny people get together and they say, who is the funniest person? Everyone says Gilbert. I, well, that doesn't surprise me at all. He is. He's really just, just instinctive with him. The other thing I was going to say is, you know, for years now, we've been told men and women are the same. There shouldn't be any differentiation. You, I, if you open the door now for a woman, you're insulting her. And so why are we not just saying that a person hit another person in the elevator? Why does it have to be that it's so horrible 
then it's a man that hit a woman. I know women who could kick Gilbert's ass, so I don't think that we should just be throwing the bandwagon of men. Joan Rivers could yeah. kick no. my ass yes. now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even today. And so I think they're trying to have it both ways. They, You know, it's so horrible if a woman gets hit. Men hit women every day. My wife, uh, she has been in fights before, and... Uh, before she met me, she kicked some guys' ass. This is so. <laughs> it's not just one way. There are big women out there, like my, like my wife and mama, like, will trash. So I think, you know, these women are just taking this as it's not football's bad. They want to make it that men are bad. During this phone call, I'm getting my ass kicked. People are lining up. So what you would Women. Like, yeah. Little girls. <laughs> What what you would like us to say is that a person punched another person. What I would yeah look yeah uh, okay I'm willing to do that. <laughs> I am. Well, it is a step toward equality. Yeah, it is. And the other thing, listen, Ryan, she was coming at him in the elevator. Mm. So self defense. Yeah, she yeah. Was, was, well, was if you watch it, she was coming in after the first slug. She he jabbed her once. She was coming back, and he just lays her out. And look, if she's not upset, why should I be? Mm. Well, she was unconscious. Do you have it's that on, to be yeah. upset? Do you have that on a T-shirt um, that you're wearing? <laughs> I love you guys, man. Have a great show. Love you, Ron. Thanks. Well, the South seems to be rising <laughs> again today. Um, here's Jim from North Carolina. Don't You're on the Manifest Show. Okay. <laughs> Hello? Yes. I, I Isn't the casino liable for not having a padded uh, metal railing? Oh, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Uh, Anthony, you're on the run of Fed show. Yeah, hi, guys. How are you? Good. I can't believe how twisted some of the callers are. They, they embrace guys like Ray Rice and Ray Lewis, love them to death, and they can't stand a guy like Michael Sam, especially African-American men. Unbelievable. Now, wh where are you calling from, sir? I'm calling from Charlotte. Where did you move? Uh, oh, I'm from upstate New York. Thank <laughs> you. All right. Because, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you came up with a, a, a good point that men in this country, a lot of men, weren't happy that a gay guy was uh, drafted, and but they're okay that this guy punched another person. Just oh, a yes. person. Well, hey, just a human out. being. An equal human yeah. being. <laughs> Although I not mean, weight or... He knocked her out, Ronnie, with a left hook and then showed no regard for the security guard in the tape showed more concern for him than he did. It was right. amazing it's how calm like he stayed. Him out my head. It's sickening. Thanks. I'm just disgusted. All right, thanks. Um... 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. David, you're on the Ron and Fez show. Hey, Ron. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't, the, the part that bothers me is after the knockout is the worst part because he's so cavalier about it. He's not so much calm as he seems aggravated that she got knocked out. Well, yeah, he had a TV show to watch and he was going to be <laughs> late for it. <laughs> Yeah, this looks like just something that happens. Just something that happens. I don't even think that he looked to see if she was breathing. At least he grabbed her pocketbook, though. Well, that's, yeah. That's, <laughs> he's a good dude. 
You're showing your age by calling it a pocketbook. I, uh, that's grandma talk. You got my pocketbook? And um, then he stole her gold chains. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, uh, Hunter, Hunter, you're on the Run of Fez show. Yeah, hey, I was listening to uh, Opie and Jim this morning, and Jim said that uh, the police had seen the video. The only reason it just got leaked now is because uh, the security guard, or one of the security guards got fired and leaked it to TMZ. Well, I'm sure he, he got you know a lot of money for it, but how does Florentine have all this info, inside information? Oh, Florentine's uh, their inside man. Yeah, I mean, that metal show must be really <laughs> connected to a lot of info that I'm not. Um, here's uh, uh, Remy, you're on the Run and Fez show. Hey, I think maybe she's, Ray Rice's wife giving some people the wrong idea. I mean, if she's going to make a habit of getting knocked out in public, she should probably think of some more conservative underwear. I... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, if I was her. Well, you know, my mother, when I was growing up, used to tell me, make sure to wear clean underwear. Yeah. You never know when you could get knocked out in an elevator by Ron Rice. Um, here's uh, Snowy. Snowy, Michigan. Hey, Ron. Gilbert, love your comedy, sir. Thank you. Let's see if I got this right. The one guy blamed TMZ for ruining his career. The other guy says the railing knocked her out, not this punch. Uh, has she apologized yet for bruising his knuckles and inconveniencing him for him having to drag her out of the elevator, you know, all the way to the hotel room, opening the door and then dragging her in? How you know how inconsiderate of her to actually wear you know what make him exert himself that much? Uh, here's Mika in Kentucky. Yeah, man, uh, I could give three fucks less about Ray Rice. Uh, Gilbert, uh, that, that, that uh, bit that you did at the Joan Rivers uh, roast, that was the funniest damn bit I've ever heard, especially with the leprechaun joke with uh, Mario Cantone and that big-ass Brad from Everybody Loves Raymond. Uh, did she have prior notice that she was going to do that about her pussy, about her golden pussy? Did she know that that was the bit? <laughs> <laughs> Did, did Joan Rivers know I was going to talk about her pussy? Yeah, you know. <laughs> See, these are these are showbiz. We're going to be discussing this on Turner Classic Movies. I was hoping. I was hoping I'd hear it. <laughs> Rabbit Oswald would say, was Joan Rivers aware that you were going to talk about her pussy? <laughs> Um, we got time for one more call. Gilbert Godfrey performing at Helium Comedy Club in Philadelphia Thursday through Saturday. Also, Yuck Yucks in St. John, uh, Canada. Go to GilbertGodfrey.com to check out um, any of his touring dates and the podcasts. Uh, Gilbert Godfrey's Amazing Colossal Podcast. Subscribe to it on iTunes and SideshowNetwork.tv and also go to GilbertGodfrey.com for an autographed copy of my book Rubber Balls and Liquor and my DVD Dirty Jokes. Uh, here's uh, Will, and it says, just from the South. <laughs> Will from yeah. the South. <laughs> One more call. I'm from Florida, and God knows we give Gilbert enough material. <laughs> 
Do, yes, does sir. any of your listeners have all their own teeth? No, not, <laughs> <laughs> not the original ones. Uh, what do you no, got, you, bro? Oh, just going to say that, you know, um, it's like everybody in, in, in Baltimore has got a Ray, a Ray story now. You got Ray Lewis, you got Ray Rice. They're not going to draft nobody else named Ray. Yeah. Cause any problems. Well, uh, you can call me Ray, <laughs> and you can call me G. <laughs> <laughs> what is that guy doing these days? That, I, I think he's dead. <laughs> oh, is that right? Yeah, or else he'd be on my podcast. <laughs> that guy was like, he was one of those guys that he was probably funny at a party <laughs> once. <laughs> uh, he wrote it for a couple years, though. Yeah. You know? Oh, my yeah. God. He yeah. squeezed every drop. He yeah. built a career out of just standing there going, Well, uh, you can call me Ray, and you can call me G, but you don't have to call me Johnson. And it was like, okay. Even as a little kid, yeah. I'd watch TV and go, I, you know, I don't see the point to this. <laughs> People in the 70s were just so stoked. Yes! Give me anything. Well, it was that he was one of those guys back then you'd think, well, he's on TV. He must be talented. Yeah. How could you be on TV and not be? Right. But it's just, uh, it was like uh, like when it hit 1980, uh, the entire nation went, what? Yeah! <laughs> Gabe Kaplan? What are we doing? <laughs> Gilbert Godfrey, great to see yeah. you again, my friend. The Hudson Brothers? <laughs> the Hudson Brothers. Emo. Remember, too? Emo? Uh, yes. The, the same bit over and over and over. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you next time. Gilbert Godfrey, performing at Helium Comedy Club in Philadelphia. Uh, also, in St. John's, Canada, at Yuck Yucks. And then go over to GilbertGodfrey.com to find out about his podcast. Yeah, Gilbert Godfrey's Amazing Colossal Podcast. Thank you so much. I'll see you next time, pal. Thank you. This is the best of Ron and Fez on Raw Dog. Comedy Hits, Channel 99. The bits that were marginally better than the rest. You're listening to the best of Ron and Fez on Raw Dog. Comedy Hits, Channel 99. In the studio with us, and this is a big day for you, Artie. It is? Yes. You've got the big special tonight. Tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. It is tomorrow night on Comedy Central. It's my third stand-up special, my second one with them. They're, they're very nice to me over there. It's called Artie Lang, The Stench of Failure, and it's uh, tomorrow night at midnight. On Comedy Central. How long does it take you to put something like this together? This is my third stand-up special that I've done in 10 years. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's that's not a bad pace if you're a comic who's not George Carlin or somebody right. like that. Uh, if you got a bunch of other stuff going on. Because in that same amount of time, I wrote two books. I, I wrote and shot a movie that I promoted, and mm -hmm. it was on 
the radio almost every day. So uh, in the mornings mostly. So that's a pretty good pace to put out an hour of material. It is. It's actually true when you start to think about it. Yeah. Because it, it, it does take you a while before you have that hour that you're really saying, I want this to be part of history. Well, yeah, you're right. When you do the special, you're like, uh, you could tour for three years with it, and you could kill in Milwaukee on a Saturday night that nobody sees, and you're like, well, that's the best I ever did that material, and then you go to tape it for a special, and it's not as good, and you get disappointed. I think every stand-up would tell you that every special they've done, if they've done them, they've actually performed it better uh, at some obscure night. Right. And it just breaks your heart. Like in Winnipeg, you did it better one night on the yeah. Thursday. And you can't think like that because you will go crazy. Uh, but I'm proud of all three specials. They came out good, you know. Yeah, I think the same thing happens for actors when they go and see the director picked certain things. Yes. You know, and you're like, what Oh, the, God, yeah, yeah. What the fuck? Well, sometimes, when a guy like Scorsese, at least you trust him. Right. You know, uh, I work with Bob Saget on a film, and you don't have, you know, I love Bob, I don't have that same Scorsese-type trust. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that uh, that can be really heartbreaking, because with, uh, I, I saw a great interview once with Christopher Walken, where he, he talked about movie acting, and he just said, look, I just give him, I'll give a director three choices. I'll do it one way, this way, the other way, and they they got three to pick from. He seems pretty casual about it. You know? Right. Uh, you know, but there's always one in your head that you know you like the best. But I also wonder if a guy like Walken even likes movies as much as we do. You know yeah. what I mean? Like some of yeah, those I, guys. I know what you're saying, yeah. Yeah. Some of those guys are just like, hey, it's a job. And for us, we'll sit and watch a movie over and over and be crazy about it. Well, a guy like Wilkin is so just naturally charismatic. He could just, he could kind of phone it in. It'll be insanely interesting. Like everything he does is interesting, you know, mm -hmm. uh, quirky. And I also read where his deal is like, you got me for two weeks for 500 grand. Give me 500 grand, I'll give you two weeks and I'll shoot a movie. And uh, the clock starts now, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's even when he's in a movie that sucks. It's rare that he's bad in a movie, yeah. even if the movie's terrible, you know. So, yeah, but I agree with you. Some guys, especially with De Niro now, he's just cranking them out because it, he wants to keep flying black supermodels to Paris, I guess, once <laughs> yeah. a month. You know? <laughs> yeah. And you got to keep, you got to make Meet the Fockers six and seven if you're going to do that. Yeah. And everyone's acting like your movie sucks, but he's getting blown on a jet. What does he care? He wins. You know, yeah, you got me. He wins. Yeah, I guess it is pretty terrible. I remember that the first time I, I saw the Tommy Lee. Uh, Pam Anderson video on the yacht and they said what do you think I mean it's got my best weekend B <laughs> well, you know, my best weekend involves winning a bet on the Nick game and maybe getting a blowjob by the tunnel uh, he's, he's, he's winning he's winning yeah maybe it wasn't a great blowjob but it was convenient yeah it, was and it right might not there. even have been a chick but it was there <laughs> it was right very convenient the, the tunnel. <laughs> You should actually do a thing where she'll blow you from one end of the tunnel to the other, and that's it. It's up to you that's fine. whether you come or not. That's fine with me. Yeah. And if you see the Adam's apple, as long as it's at the very end, you're fine. <laughs> But yeah, exactly. These celebrities' lives, uh, you know, again, like De Niro, there's a lot of critics, and I'm one of them. I'm one of those assholes who loved his career in the 70s, and I go, well, he's ruining his legacy, blah, blah, blah. Give me another raging bull, blah, blah, blah. But then he's like, no, I, I want to keep taking a private jet to the Bahamas. You know? I, I am wondering, has anyone not let us down? Like, how do you feel, let's say, about a Jack Nicholson? Well, if you're around, it's a good point. If you're yeah. around long enough, if you don't die, uh -huh. 
uh, you probably will eventually let people down. I think I certainly have. I think uh, uh, on a much bigger level, Nicholson, I'm sure, has. Yeah. Uh, I think, um, Any I think like, uh, John Belushi might have eventually. Like, yeah. He was starting to accord to some people. Jimi Hendrix would have started putting out yeah. shit, you know, probably. Look, the Stones stayed alive long enough to put out uh, the last 20 years of their career, which, you know, we Harlem Shuffle we had to sit through. <laughs> yeah, know, right. And they just tour as their own cover band now. But eventually, you lose the fire, you lose the anger that makes you an artist. And comedy and rock and roll, I think, are the same. Even acting, what you put into it. And, and you start to, you can't help but sell out. You know. How about Carlin for you, though? I mean, it seemed like Carlin... Carlin was a guy, he wasn't yeah. infected by Hollywood and movies. He was, it actually helped his stand-up career that his movie career bombed. Because yeah. I think he gladly would have transitioned to movies, but nothing was going for him. And that was the same with sitcoms. So he had it to make the money and stay accustomed to the lifestyle he had. And he had to keep cranking out the stand-up. And it was great for us as stand-up yeah. fans. He never moved to L.A. <laughs> and did the whole, uh, you know, fuck it, I'm going to... Do a shit movie, and yeah. he kept writing good stand-up. His stand-up, even at the end, it was just so disgusting. Angry. With, yeah, angry, yeah, angry with America and even human beings. You gotta read his last book. It's called uh, Last Words. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he, it's so great because it's like he knows he's gonna die mm -hmm. and he just takes his time to just spout vitriol. People he hates. <laughs> Everybody takes a beating because he knows he can't burn any bridges because he's going yeah. and he's leaving about 200 mil to his family who aren't in show business. <laughs> so what are they giving to that? He just lets it go. That's a good book to read. Last Words by Carl and I would recommend uh, Artie's new special, Artie Lang, The Stench of Failure, debuts this Saturday, midnight on Comedy Central. Third one that you've done, second for Comedy Central. Yes. And you're happy with this one, Artie? I am. Yeah. I am. I really am. I, uh, you know, it's, it takes a lot of work to get these done. And like you say, uh, the way you usually do it is you, you get a theater that Comedy Central got me a beautiful theater in Newark, which is my hometown, and uh, made it look like my uh, the street I grew up on and that my father grew up on. And uh, uh, my family came, and the crowd was great. And uh, I really, uh, I really am proud of it, yeah. Isn't it good you didn't have to do something in some town that you didn't feel that connection to? My first one was in Tempe, Arizona, because mm -hmm. I thought maybe that would help. Uh, and it came out great. I'm very happy with it. But as I got uh, deeper into my career, the second one, the one I did a few years ago, I did in New York at a club because it was more intimate. And that got a little better. And I just said, fuck it, I'm, I'm just going to do one in my hometown now of Newark. The next one might be from my kitchen. I don't <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens. You're just sitting in your kitchen. Why not? Some folks laying around. I could get intimate. How's everything going for you? You okay? You doing all right? I could drop a few pounds. I'm not going to lie to you. But uh, I, uh, I'm clean and sober and uh, thinking clear. I don't gamble. I'm bored as shit, but uh, yeah. I'm alive. You know, so uh, I don't have Ebola. Mm -hmm. I guess that's the best. And yeah. ISIS doesn't have me uh, with a knife to my neck. I mean, what else can I say? You know, uh, you know, when we go through this stuff and you see what happened with Robin Williams. I know, yeah, you, brutal. Yeah, it's like you almost can't be sure about anybody. Right, no, you know? right, absolutely. Um, I'm sure Robin Williams might flip through the channels every once in a while and see the, catch the Kardashians and see the life Scott Disick is leading and go, where's the, where's the nearest tie and closet door, you know? <laughs> Uh, you see that, and you wonder how he fucking didn't do it uh, before. Uh, Al.
alimony payments. Uh, you know, it, it, it sounded like he he dug his own hell, his version of hell. Yeah, not, not an average guy's version of hell. I mean, uh, an average guy in the Midwest going to his job as an assistant plumber doesn't want to hear that uh, Rob Williams was forced to sell his home in Napa to come out. You know, right. get through the hard times, but everything's relevant. You know. It is true, though, like that, that you come up with those those excuses, and they're probably not even the thing. No, that got to him. Yeah, you never know what's going through somebody's head, you know. Yeah. And uh, I think with him, the real tragedy is if someone was with him. And I'm not trying to place any guilt on people in his life. You know, they were doing their own thing. But if somebody was with him in that room and just sort of talked him through that 10 minutes, I bet he'd still be here. Yeah. You know, it's uh, you just get a dark place you go to, and you need somebody there to get you out of it. Yeah, and everybody has that 10 minutes sooner or later. Yeah, you know? yeah and you got to hope you don't know how to tie a knot. It's... <laughs> <laughs> but it's always the human experience. It isn't easy. No, it isn't. Yeah. It isn't. Absolutely not. And it, we make it harder on ourselves. Yeah. Uh, but it isn't easy to begin with. You're right. Yeah, it was never easy on Jesus. Even he was like, what? No. And Jesus didn't have, you know, electricity and plumbing. <laughs> and Think about it. You know how awful his robe must have stunk? <laughs> Probably had shit all over the back of that robe. <laughs> See, they never bring that up. Right? <laughs> yeah. There's no point. Yeah. Yeah. But you could ask. I mean, I guess so you could be in church and just ask. Yeah. What did he do to What play? were the plumbing facilities? Did he ever wash <laughs> that fucking robe? <laughs> At some point, he's like, this robe, I can't stand another day in this robe. Just nail me to a cross. <laughs> well, by the way, did he make the cross? I mean, since he was a carpenter. I think they forced him. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. The fact that he was good with woodworking. And uh, that's well, that was the thing. It was like digging your own grave. I think that was right. part of the Roman torture. They made those thieves and everything, uh, you know. He should have made it so weak, though, so it kept just cracking over. You know what? I guess he was too honest. <laughs> the motherfucker. He was a good, yeah. honest laborer. And yeah. they're like, uh, you, you know what? You don't pick the bad day to die. It's like, you know, dying with a famous person in the same plane crash. Those two thieves who were next to him, yeah. they got no press at all. <laughs> you die on the same plane with a with a famous guy and no one talks about you. It is true, These right? These two guys, you know, were, were criminals or probably did well at the criminal acts, and they have to die on the day of our Savior. They get crucified the same fucking day. They get no press. Well, does anybody remember those names? I can't no. remember. No. <laughs> no one does. But they say nobody ever remembers the opening acts, so, right. you know. <laughs> would, they, they were just like uh, the two Supremes with names you don't remember. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, but everyone remembers Barabbas, the guy who Fucked him over. got well, away. Him, yeah, right. Yeah. Well, it was, uh, he was Diana Ross and the other two were the... <laughs> Diana Cross, if you want. <laughs> Diana Cross <laughs> and the Supremes. Artie Lang's hanging out with his, his new special, Artie Lang, The Stench of Failure, debuts Saturday midnight on Comedy Central. And uh, Artie tells us he's doing well, but why do you call this the... The stench of failure. Well, over the years, I find that negativity is always funnier. That's what I've liked. And yeah. I go through my personal and professional life. One word comes up more than any, and that's failure. And I crowbar it into the title. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> and in the meantime, though, you're still doing very, very well. Well, I mean, road. everything's relative. I don't yeah. have, again, I don't have Scott Disick's life, but uh, I have my life. <laughs> if you jump high enough to try to get to Scott Disick, you'd land at Artie Lang. So that's where I'm at. I, I'd like to be in better shape physically, but um, uh, <laughs> that being said, 
<laughs> you know. Is that that's the last? That's the toughest thing for you, though. Out of all the things well, you yeah, give well, up, I'll tell you, sugar and yeah, you know, I just got diagnosed with diabetes. Sugar's the hardest drug to get. That's way harder than heroin yeah. to get off of. I've been doing that since I was one. You know, uh, you, you, we get addicted to that in this country before anything. Sugar, carbs, and they say just stop doing that. All of a sudden, that is difficult to do. You know, yeah, it's a tough one to pull off. Um, because, like you said, you're into it for a long time. You yeah. don't even think about it. And then they tell you the other stuff, too. Dope, gambling, booze, and now all the food. What, what am I going to do? Right. Yeah. You can stay away from the gambling, though? That was a vice I liked the most. And for a while, that looked like it was going to be my worst thing. But, uh, yeah, I've been able to successfully stay away from that. Even during football season? Yeah. I, I don't have a bookie. I, I used to have a bookie. I don't have one anymore. I don't have a number to call. Thank God. I don't want a number to call. That's the worst. Uh, when you get in the most troubles, when you got a book who you don't have to lay the money down. You just could call. And yeah. Give me ten dimes and you're in trouble after that. Yeah, because you see it so Clearly, before the bet, oh, yeah. you sit down and you look at this, and you're saying, "How could they have made such a major mistake right. as five points?" You're right. These idiots. Even the Jets Patriots last night. You're thinking, if you're a Patriot fan, how are the Jets going to beat these guys? But then they cover. Yeah. You know, it's like uh, the, the, uh, you got to remember for gambling for gamblers, the Jets did not lose. Yeah. Uh, it's it's how it goes. I wonder if there could ever just be a sports network that does that, that actually gives the real. Well, there's a lot of them that they hint yeah. at it. They yeah. go, you could tell. <laughs> yeah. You could tell. There's enough money in illegal gambling. It's a billion dollar industry. A lot of sports, they do hint at it. We're like, uh, you know, uh, congratulations, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, we're sorry to hear your Browns lost, but congratulations on the new car. <laughs> Looks like your kid's going to community college. Um, here is uh, here's Mike in Long Island. Mike, say hi to Artie. Artie, how's it going? Hey, Mike. What's up, buddy? Um, actually, it's funny. I'm actually uh, driving to outpatient right now. I'm in recovery from uh, heroin addiction. And I was just wondering, like, um, how, how do you deal with being in the business and having the drugs around you constantly and the lifestyle? And how do you deal with, like, the boredom and being on the road and all that? The good question, man. It's very difficult. You know, you have to try to travel with the right people. Uh, you have to try to... There's a lot of comics out there who have been through the same troubles, and you got to try to find them and maybe travel with them and, and have the people in your life who are, like, your road manager and such, maybe assistants who uh, stay clean and uh, don't make it a temptation. That's the only way, is be around good people. That's how I battle it. I think in your life, maybe you could do it... Uh, in your own way, you know? Yeah, like, oh, the number one thing I'm dealing with right now is, like, loneliness and just, you know, you have to change that whole different crowd of people, and it's hard. It is. When you've been around them for so long, I agree with you, man. Look, it's a tough road, but, you know, try to meet new people. It, it can happen because there's people out there who are weirdos who are in the same spot who you might find to be people who are potentially great friends for a lifetime. Right, and uh, I was just wondering, what do you? What is your opinion on like the whole twelve-step process, or? I like anything. it. It's worked for yeah. me in the past. That's a big thing. The AA 12-step is something that has worked for me in, in the past. And uh, the people that I've met who have gone through the full 12-step program, a lot of them comedians, and really did the whole thing to the, to the full 12 steps to where they're helping people at the end, they are some of the happiest, nicest, most well-adjusted people I've ever known. So it works. 
There you go. Thanks, if, Mike. If you work it. Yeah, <laughs> it works, works if you work. <laughs> Good luck. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Artie Lang sitting with us. He's got this new special, The Stench of Failure, debuting Saturday midnight on Comedy Central. And, of course, he recorded that in Newark, yes, New Jersey. Um, and that was a blast for you to do it in your hometown. Well, I grew up, uh, yeah, I was born in Newark, and I grew up two miles outside of Newark, right by Newark Airport. My whole family's from there. And yeah, so it was fun. It was like a homecoming, you know. And they built a beautiful complex, the Performing Arts Center there, right by where the Newark Bears uh, minor league baseball team played. It's really a cool area. And for uh, people that don't know the area too much, you're never far from good food. No, well, that's so that the Ironbound and the down neck section. Yeah. Uh, Portuguese and Italian food. Unbelievable. I used to work at the Port Nork. It's another reason I picked this. In the early 90s, I was a longshoreman at the Port Nork at the Orange Juice Piers. And we would get an hour and a half for lunch. That was the best union ever. And we'd go all around Ironbound and all around down neck for Italian and Portuguese food. Places like Tony DiConica's, Pokey's Tavern, Zip Zips, Amelia's for Broccoli Robin, Fresh Mozzarella Sandwiches, Nasto's for uh, ice cream, and uh, cannolis filled with ice cream, uh, Napadano's bread. Uh, it's endless. Yeah, it is. Uh, Iberia, Spain, Spanish Tavern. It's absolutely endless. It's really funny. I, I think it, it beats the hell out of Manhattan. When, In a lot uh, of ways. It's unique, yeah. When people were coming to the Super Bowl and they're like, where can I come? I'm like, you've got so many places to eat in Jersey right. before you go wasting your time paying these prices. Well, an orange juice ship would uh, dock. Uh, three million gallons of orange juice would come in from Brazil to be a gang of eight guys on the ship. They would say, uh, where's New York? And we'd point them to New York. They'd take a car. They'd come back with five hookers and cocaine, and they'd go on the boat, and they would have the best party for five days while the ship unloaded. We would join them. And uh, eventually, we showed them the restaurants in Newark, and we were like, you're wasting your time. Just get your whores and your food here. And there's blow all over the place. And we saved them a lot of a lot of travel money. <laughs> that was one of the things I donated to Brazil. I'm like, what are you going on? Fuck a Manhattan for Go right down here, uh, you know, to Ferris Boulevard. You'll be fine. Uh, here's uh, Chris in Virginia Beach. Go ahead, Chris. Oh, Artie Lang. Love you, man. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, I remember the first day you went on Stern with uh, your friend Norm. Yes. And, and enjoyed your whole ride and uh, felt really sad when I heard what happened. And I'm, uh, I prayed for you. I've been through the same thing. Not quite as extreme, but... Uh, I, <laughs> I was going to say, I hope not. <laughs> but uh, I got through it, and I don't... I, I know I would never try it again. It's just to get to that low point, and you got to have somebody to turn to to get you through that 30 minutes or whatever it takes, you know? Yeah, I'm but, glad uh, you're doing good, buddy. I'm glad. Yeah. Hey, I was watching the, uh, this milk chocolate ranch you had on uh, your old show on, uh, on uh, DirecTV. Milk chocolate ranch? Yeah, a rant, a rant, they called it. And it was about like 10 minutes long, and you were, you, you know, the one thing you enjoy every day is that glass of milk chocolate. And uh, the girls at your show did a little different, and you noticed it, and you and you uh, you had a real emotional time, I think, with that, you know, trying to explain it. it, was, it was, I was watching it. It was, it was kind of scary because, uh, you know, what was going on in your head, and you were talking about, you know, taking your life, and I was just wondering at what point did that, show take place in your recovery 
God, I don't even remember what you're talking about. A milk chocolate ramp. I, I think maybe they were making chocolate milk the wrong way, and that depressed me. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. I, uh, exactly. Is that what it was? <laughs> they made it the wrong way? Yeah, I did. Thank God it took place after my recovery, way into it. <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to get through that. What's the proper way to make a milk chocolate? Well, they didn't put the proper amount of <laughs> syrup in, uh, and I like to do a parfait thing, some of the bottom, some of the middle. And uh, they were just doing it improperly, like a couple of Midwestern chicks. Blonde hair and blue eye, you know, don't eat gluten. <laughs> Everybody loved that show that you were doing over there, then. You had a good time doing it, right? It was fun. I, I lasted there for about three years. I was yeah. in contract, and I wanted to leave to do something uncensored again, which is what I'm going to go try and do. Where do you do you know where you're going to be doing that? Or? I'm probably going to do a podcast. Yeah. I'm probably gonna, and uh, truly uncensored for the first time. I'm going to give my the people who follow me a true sense of uh, of me, uh, like a truly uncensored version of a radio show. Like, I don't feel like I've ever done that before. So uh, uh, it's going to be fun. And where do you plan on doing it? From a studio or from well, your I'm house? I'm going to do it from my office at first. Yeah. I bought the equipment already. Did you? It costs like eight grand. It's amazing. I'm just going to like roll the dice and see. The numbers are thrown out there are incredible. And I can give the fans the best show I've ever done. So everyone wins in the beginning. And if it bombs, I'll just stop doing it. Uh, all right, that's fantastic, though. Uh, yeah. I know Anthony just started doing his, and it's yeah. working out fantastic for him. Yeah, why not? And uh, like he said, you go directly to the fans. Why not? You know, why not? Uh, a lot of those guys that started that did it without having people that no, were already I know. I, I did the Howard Show and DirecTV and stand-up and, you know, the books and everything. While they were doing that, they sort of uh, shot down the doors, and I'm going to walk through. Yeah. <laughs> now, do you know the date you're going to be starting? Hopefully in three weeks to a month. All right. Yeah, we're going to get really rolling with it. Uh, and just calling it the Artie Lang Show? or Right now, it's uh, Artie Quitter. You go to Artie Quitter to hear all the details, and you'll find out the title, and that's how you follow me on Twitter. I'm giving out all the information there. It's at Artie Quitter, which is one word, R-D-A-R-T-I-E, Quitter. All right, follow me on Twitter, at Artie Qu uh, Quitter, and you'll be able to find out uh, where you can start and hear Artie working directly to you. Uh, hey, uh, Baldy, you're on... Uh Running face show. Hey, what's going on, guys? Sound yeah. like a million bucks. Hey, Artie, uh, any uh, consideration of having Mike Bichetti be your personal trainer now? No. Uh, <laughs> I think Mike's seen some great results for himself, but I'm going to let him stick to his own roots there. Uh, I hope it works out for him. Um, I think uh, Mike still has stuff like the gout to contend with, but he did he did lose about 80 pounds. God bless him. Did he really take off that much? He did, yeah. That's fantastic. And now he's about 420. So <laughs> <laughs> Artie Lang, good to see you again, buddy. You guys are good to me. I appreciate it. Ron Fez, all the guy. Thank you so much. Everybody Everybody's always pulling for you, and uh, you'll be able to check out the special Artie Lang, The Stench of Failure, debuts Saturday night on Comedy Central. That's midnight on Comedy Central, and here's the big news. Artie is going to be doing a podcast, working directly to his fans. Check that out on Artie Quitter on Twitter, and we'll also put a link up. Thank you so much, buddy. Thanks, guys. I'll see you next time. I appreciate it. Raw Dog. Raw Dog. Comedy. Channel 99. 
This is the best of Ron and Fez. Ron and Fez on Raw Dog. Raw Dog. Comedy Hits. Channel 99. Joy is something you my arms in full name. You never knew this trip before. Whoever thought I'd be holding you close to me whispering. It's you I adore. I wish you would be the dearest one. If you should leave me, leave me. I don't know what I would do. Each little dream would take wing, and my life would be through. Wait a minute. Let me take you away from all this. Look, midnight at home, candlelight, music gone. Me and you all alone, moving to our favorite song. It's our time, just us. Slow down, no rush. Our love grows every day, so you're not surprised when I say, Oh, this me, this me mucho. Kiss me much. <laughs> yeah. Love me, my darling, and say that you'll always be mine. Love me, my darling, and say that you'll always be mine. me, my darling, and say that you'll always be mine. He's singing it with him singing it. He had it so I couldn't reach it. <laughs> Danny Aiello, my life on the street, on stage and in the movies, I only know who I am. When I'm somebody else, you know, you can go out and see Danny tonight. Bookends in Ridgewood, New Jersey, uh, Barnes and Noble in Staten Island, and Barnes and Noble in the Upper West Side. Now, I think to be a great actor, you have to be a great storyteller, and you can see that in this book because when you read this book, it's like having dinner with Danny Aiello. And he's sitting down telling you some of these great stories. Thank you, Ron. You know, that's a, that's a great compliment. Because when I agreed to do the book, it was important for me to sound, that, that the words would sound like me speaking. And I think we've accomplished that. It wasn't an easy thing to do. It was a very stressful thing for me to do. I'll tell you, to pick up things at the age of six. First of all, I said, how the hell am I going to remember things at the age of six? But it came to me. A lot of things that I wanted to forget as a child and buried, but they came to light again. Here, I'm 145 years old remembering things that, you know, that I did when I was six years old. It was, it was really an experience for me to do that. Sleepless nights created. It took me three months to write it and, uh, and I've done it. And if it doesn't sell one book, I'm being honest with you. I wrote the book I wanted to write. And the title, of course, I'd like to explain what it means. I only know who I am when I am somebody else. Because sitting here with you, I'm not quite sure who the hell I am. Yesterday, mm -hmm. I don't know who I am. But I do know whenever I'm acting a character, I know who that is. I know the lines I'm going to speak. I know where this character comes from because I did the investigative work. So I'm quite sure of who my characters are, but not too sure about myself. Is that some of your favorite work that you're doing to the, the preparation to the, the roles is that yeah I think so but it's, it's relatively simple because what I do I don't like to sound like a magician or some miracle maker when I do a role I simply 
think about it a bit, think about what I did in life, what I would have done in life had I been playing such a role. And I try to make it as natural as it's humanly possible to make it for myself. Uh, you know, if it's a known character in history, of course, I will do lookup work. I did my due diligence, find out who the guy was and come up with something. But any other character that I play that's unreal and developed for the first time, I might have picked up something from someone in the street because mm -hmm. actors are voyeurs. You know, they observe people. Sometimes we pick up little idiosyncrasies of people and we say, hey, sometime in the future, you know, I'm going to utilize what that guy just showed me, you know, and you do it that way. But I, I just, it's, it's a matter of, uh, Constantly rehearsing lines, rehearsing lines, rehearsing lines, remembering the lines, and trying to make something valid out of the lines. But it's it's a simple method, I think. And uh, as long as eventually you're in the most natural state that you can be in, and that's generally how I feel my characters uh, are portrayed in a very natural sense. But here's the thing for this book, when you sit down to do this, the guy that you're now investigating is Danny Aiello, yeah. and you're going back... To memories and feelings that you've probably pushed away and yeah. tried to get away from for your whole life. Yeah, well, that, that that's that's true. First of all, I was a kid when I was six years old. I remember a lot of things that came back to mind. I had I had eczema. Mm -hmm. I was sitting in the front of a class, and uh, because I was small and very skinny and uh, smaller than the rest of the students. But I had to scratch myself like crazy because of my eczema. My mother at night when I went to sleep had to put gloves on my hands or my socks on my hands to keep me from ripping myself apart. That's how bad the eczema was. And then I was left back in school because I was hospitalized quite a bit. So I'm an older guy in a young class. And, you know, people are looking at me weird and I'm scratching and scratching. And I'm thinking I was disgusting them. So I went over to the teacher and I had my mother, you know, ask them to let me sit in the back. And of course that was permitted. On the other hand, when I left school, when I went outside, I played ball. Uh, you know, and that put me in a different state of mind. I didn't worry about my eczema. I didn't have to scratch myself because I was involved in something other than sitting there and scratching. But in school, I loved when the teacher would call me and ask me to read something from a book. Now, I have no idea why that was so important to me, but I would get up and read, and I was also a great speller. Math, forget about it. Algebra, any of that stuff, forget it. I couldn't do it. But I loved to read, and I think that was the first sign, maybe, that maybe someday I'll become an actor, you know, reading mm -hmm. scripts and so forth. Of course, I never wanted to be an actor until I was, but it, it was it was a tremendous experience. But in the book, I go from six, from the age of six, I go to the age of nine when I uh, was uh, shining shoes at Grand Central Station in 1940s. I was shining shoes for soldiers and so forth, and shining their boots. I used to pop the rag, you know, and it was. I'm talking about the shoe mm -hmm. shine rag, and then from that, I when I went to 13 years old. 14, uh, uh, I, I got into some bad trouble with little gangs sort of things, and I was picked up by two detectives at Herman Ritter, PS 98 in New York City, uh, which was a sort of an elementary school, and they took me down to Lincoln Hospital to be identified for attempted murder. Now, I had nothing to do with this guy who was beat up. His name was Joe Ariago, but the two detectives scared the hell out of me. They took me out of school, brought me there, and said, do you know Joe Ariago? I said, no, I don't. They said, well, apparently someone knows you because they said you were there when he got hurt. I said, 
I had detectives. I had nothing to do with it. I don't know what you're talking about. So they took me down, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, I know I didn't do it, but I'm beginning to feel guilty, and maybe I did do it. Of course I didn't do it, but I was thinking I did. So I heard a song on the radio. Ron, you got to believe me when I'm telling you this. You know what the song was? I've got an alibi. The song is, I've got an alibi. I don't even remember. But that song kept playing. I wanted to say something to the cops, but I thought it wouldn't make any sense. They took me up to the guy's room. Now, they didn't put me in a room. They put me in a vestibule where there was a bench. And I saw in the room, apparently they wanted me to see it. And in there was Joe Ariago patched up to the head, bandaged all. They did a job on him. And they walk back out to me, and they don't say a word to me. Two detectives on the big, I'm a little kid. I'm nothing. I'm a jerk. Nothing. They come out, and I'm wondering, what are they going to say? Both of them. One grabbed one arm, the other, and they picked me up and started to take me down. So I'm saying, I'm gone. I'm dead. So they put me in a car, and they take me back to school. And they say, may I curse? Yeah. Get the fuck out of the car. Guy didn't identify me. I had nothing to do with it, but that was the thing that made me know I better get out of this city. Right. I better go away, and I went into the army. Then we go into the army pit. Then I come out of the army. I meet a nice Jewish girl from the Bronx, Sandy Cohen. I fell in love with her, and I married her. Then I got a job at the Greyhound bus terminal as a public address announcer. May I have your attention, please? On platform number three, a coach from Philadelphia, Chester, Wilmington, Dover, Seaford, Laurels, Pearlsbury, Princess Anne, Pocomoke City, Kiptapeak Peach, Little Creek, and Norfolk. That's the kind of crap I did. I did that. I was there for 10 years. I became the union president, the youngest president in the country, lost my job as a result of a wildcat strike, was sued for $500,000. I decided not to fight it because the union, I became very disoriented. I, I, I felt that they killed me because they went with what management was saying as opposed to what one of their Mm. fellow representatives were saying. I left floundering around, went to the improvisation in New York City, and Bud Friedman, a proprietor, famous improv, great comedy yeah. gave me a job as a bouncer. And that's where that goes. Then everything else, then my whole show business career comes into it. And I, I have some nasty remarks for some notable people that I didn't particularly care for. Well, you're, you're, you're going to love it when you read that, Ron. Oh, I know you'll love that Believe book. me, I went through it all. I love the book. And, oh, you know, because I love having you in. And like I said, this when you read this book, you hear Danny's voice the entire time. I mean, it is like going out to dinner with Danny Aiello. I love you saying that, Ron. And, you have no idea what a compliment that is. I know I said that yeah. before, but I truly mean it. And we did an audio. Yeah. I did the audio book, which came out the same day. So, so uh, people now are actually hearing my voice saying the words that I had written. But, you know, the thing is that you that you pick up, even as a kid, you have the angst, the actor's instinct. You know, of you saying, oh, what if I did do it? That's something that an actor would do to himself in a yes. scene. Uh, the eczema that you had, you later use... In one of your more famous <laughs> film roles. Yeah, there were questions. I did. Uh, I went out to Washington the other day with Diane Reem mm -hmm. on public radio. Wonderful mm -hmm. woman. And she asked me, uh, did that have any... In Moonstruck, you were sort of scratching your head. 
and it was Moonstruck. Yeah. And it wasn't that. It, it's just that I recalled eczema, and that gave me the idea of scratching my head. Yeah. And that's what I used to do, rip my head apart, rip every part of my body. But yes. Is that, was that the question you were asking? Yeah. I, it I, was Moonstruck. I, and that's what I love about this, that, that even when there's places that you don't expect a connection, everything in your life seems to be this tapestry, Dan. Yes. One thing leads to uh, another. And there are names of people that you, long before you were famous, that, that you know, people that you would run across in these stories are absolutely fascinating. You know, the thing that I'm most moved by, Paul Mazursky, he's yeah. a great director. He directed so many great films. He's one of the greatest, and I love the guy. And two weeks before, well, I called him in California while I was writing the book, and uh, we're talking, and I, I knew he wasn't feeling well. I said, Paul, you know, I'd love you to do the foreword of the book if you, if you had time to do it. He said, you know, Danny, well, you know, I'm not feeling too well. And I said, oh, Paul, don't worry about it. If you can't do it, it's fine. I, I just thought maybe it'll be interesting for you. He passed away two mm. weeks later, so which devastated me. And instead of a foreword, what I put in, he sent me a picture a long time ago, him and I, in the movie Pickle, with the big camera there, mm. the director's seat, he's sitting in it, and it said, to Danny, who loves you? Paul Mazursky. So beneath that, in the uh, in that area of dedication, I put my hope was that Paul would have written the foreword on this book. Sadly, he passed away. I said, so I decided not to have one. And right beneath that, I wrote to Paul, who loves you, Danny Aiello. To me, that meant more than anything in the book. And there's a lot of sad and happy things in the book. But to me, it meant that I was giving up someone who wrote a forward saying great things about me, how mm. great Danny is. How that, I didn't want that. What made me feel good was that I spoke of Paul at the beginning of the book. And I only wish that he knew it. And maybe, maybe knows, by right? some miracle he didn't, yeah. you know. Uh, as I said, there's so many uh, phenomenal stories. Some of them, some of the small stories in here would be the biggest stories that people would carry around for the rest of their lives. And you only, th there's a, a, a part of the book where you're working the improv and Doc Pomus, the great, I love them. the great uh, songwriter would come in and you would go out to his car and because he could no longer walk, you would pick him up and bring him in. And there he would work with Bette Midler and get together with Bette Midler. This is long before your Danny Aiello Absolutely. that everybody knows. Yes. And how many people, Danny, would have an experience like that? But even more important, be able to recognize it. You know? Yeah, it was it was quite an experience because I had never been exposed to that before. I was a married guy at Greyhound. I didn't know anything about show business. Walking in there and seeing dynamite comedians who had already made it. But the most interesting part of it is to see guys who began there. I was there for about two and a half years and went on to be huge. I'm talking Richie Pry used mm -hmm. to come in. And one of my best friends was Rodney Dangerfield. Rodney Dangerfield was just... He was sensational. Robert Klein. Robert Klein, I used to sing behind him. We were the untouchables. Buddy Hughes, Bobby Mantia, and, uh, and Bobby Alto. We were called up because Bob Klein would get up before an audience and he would ad-lib. He would improv songs, but he would ask for a title of a song. From that title, he would make a song, call us up. The, I was there, not as one. Uh, they called us the yeah. Untouchables, but I was working there. <laughs> I had a job, but I got up and sang behind him. Then you know who else we sung behind? Bette Midler. Unbelievable. 
Bette Midler, when she was working the bats, you mm -hmm. know, she and she was at the time she was in Fiddler on the Roof. But Bette was sensational. I mean, the people I met there were like outrageously great. Our relationship, Bud Friedman and I, is still great. He lives in California. Uh, but it was a place that started me. I didn't know that that's what I was going to become an actor from that. But it did help me because I was on the stage. I was before people. I was doing things. So it loosened me up a bit, you know. Well, uh, years ago, David Brenner had told me that he said you know he knew you from work in the door great guy and then you got this play and he says he goes to the play and he's like that is unbelievable he had no idea none of them did they used to take me as a this. joke a hitter yeah. that's what they do they take you as a hitter you're yeah. italian you hit people that's why you're a goddamn <laughs> bouncer he was a great guy and we yeah. were friendly even up until the last minute uh we saw each other frequently and we loved each other i told you ron on the last broadcast mm -hmm. <clears throat> excuse me uh that Bud Friedman, who I loved, yeah. and Bud Friedman truly loved David as a person, but he didn't think he was funny. And when I was emceeing, if Bud wasn't there, Bud said, never, ever put Brenner on prime time. Now, you know, that's the last thing you got to tell me. If you're going to tell me that shit, that's not going to happen. So what I did was I put him on prime time every time Bud wasn't there. He'd get an 8 o'clock, a 9 o'clock, a 10 o'clock. He was right there. I loved him. David was a great guy. And he he was with Miss Tel Aviv for a long time, one of the most beautiful women I had ever seen in my life. That was his girlfriend. Her name was Yaffa. Second name I don't remember, but she was Miss Tel Aviv. The things that I was exposed to there, I, yeah. I mean, is outrageous. Now, in the book, stories about Lauren Bacall, stories about Beatri uh, B. Arthur, stories about Woody Allen, stories about... Martin Scorsese, you know, yeah. who said to people, a reporter asked me one day, how come Danny Aiello's never worked with you? He said, well, you know, I, he wasn't right for what I was doing. When a reporter asked me, I said, what was I, too tall? <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, Marty's about four foot eight, I yeah, guess, something a, like that. Yeah. No, he's a great director. <clears throat> my, <clears throat> excuse me. Sure. My feeling uh, for him has to do with the fact that I'd never worked with him. And I always wondered why. And at the time I was trying to work with him, I was pretty hot. I mean, I was doing knockout, name above the title. I was doing, I just bought a house in Ramsey because of the acting. So I was really cooking. And that makes you think, why would this guy not allow me to be in any one of his movies? And I never was. And I resented that. To this day, I resent it. If I see him on the street, I may knock him out. But beside that, <laughs> but beside that, here's the end of that. It's in the book, too. I did a movie called Brooklyn Lobster, Ron. Yeah. Okay? Small movie. Uh, it, I was asked to do it, and I liked the kid very much, so he thought it would be helpful if I did it. I have somewhat of a name for, for him. So I said I, I, I would do it. <clears throat> and he happened to know Marty Scorsese because they both went to NYU at different times. But I did this movie with him. <clears throat> I went to the premiere, okay? And what do you think it said at the top? Marty Scorsese presents Danny Aiello <laughs> in Brooklyn Lobster. So in the book, I put down, well, 
I finally worked in one of Monty Scorsese's <laughs> pictures. Now, remember, he wasn't a producer. Yeah. He didn't put money in. He was never on the set. I, I think he would have thought it was dangerous to be on the set when I was in the same <laughs> set of him as him. But that was it, you know. And uh, it, But remember this. It was because of his professional ability as a director that I wanted to work with him. I wanted to be painted by his brush on the screen just to give myself an opportunity to know that I had worked with him because he did some marvelous movies. And I just resent the fact that I might have had an additional four Academy Awards if I worked with him. <laughs> so I want to knock him out because of that, you know. And other stories, and, and Woody, you know, Woody Allen, who I love dearly, you know, and I did four things with him, including a Broadway play, would be Arthur. But Woody came over to me one day and he said, Danny... You are my ace in a hole for Broadway Danny Rose. Now, I interpreted that as a street kid, as, hey, man, you're the guy. You're going right. to do it. Now, Bobby Greenhut, who was the producer, said, use Danny. Gordon Willis, who was the greatest cinematographer, said, use Danny. Not because I was a great actor, but because I did my work. I remembered my lines. I was on time. No wasted money. So it was easy for them to say that. I'm waiting and waiting, and I'm thinking, oh, God, I'm going to get this. I can't wait. It's a great role. Perfect feel. Yeah. Perfect Two feel. weeks pass by. Brian Hamill, still photographer in all the great movies. His brother is Pete Hamill. He calls me up and said, Danny, uh, someone else got the role. I went into my room for about, I would say, two weeks. I was devastated. I wouldn't say I was crying, but devastated. And uh, as time went on, Woody asked Brian, how's Danny? friendly thing. Now keep in mind that Woody and I were friendly during shoots. We played ball with each other. We'd box with each other. We did crazy things. And uh, so I assumed because of these things I was going to have to part. But Woody asked Brian, how's Danny? Brian said, disappointed. Disappointed? Why? He works all the time. He had no idea. Works all the time. What the hell does that mean? I have an opportunity to work in a great movie by Woody Allen with a great role. He had no idea what that would mean to a guy or any actor, any actor. You can't, but he did not promise me to roll, Ron. I want yeah. to make that clear. All he said, you're my ace in the hole. He hired this other guy who was a contained group. He had a group. He performed all over Connecticut, and he wrote his own music. He wrote the song Ajita. Ajita. It's kind of stunt casting that that's he did. absolutely right. Yeah. He felt that he was the guy. There's no question I could have played it. But the question is that he already had built-in material that he mm -hmm. could use in a movie. Because I don't think that guy ever worked before or since. He in, never worked in, since. Yeah, in, in films. <laughs> he got a TV series. <laughs> oh, did he? And it lasted for about a half hour. <laughs> I don't think the pilot was ever finished before yeah. they said they cannot work with him. Not that he wasn't good. <laughs> right. They told me suddenly he became he became Frank Sinatra or, or, or Burt Lancaster. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't this guy. Yeah. Which that is basically right again. from the movie. The yes. guy who gets a break and it lets it get to his head. That's right, yes. Uh, you get the chance to go out and meet uh, Danny at these book signings tonight. Uh, bookends, Ridgewood, New Jersey. Uh, Wednesday, October 22nd, Barnes & Noble in Staten Island. Friday, October 24th, Barnes & Noble in the Upper West Side. Uh, as Again, these are great stories. and There's so many life lessons in here. And one of my favorite is the fact that you bring up 
you and Sean Penn politically couldn't be further apart, and yet you have this close friendship. Yes, we do. Uh, based on just the connection you guys feel. Yeah, and we did Hurley Burley together in California. I was fortunate enough to win Best Act in L.A. Drama Critics, but he should have gotten one, too. But I think they penalize this kid every time they get a ch- uh, an opportunity to do so. Politically, we are so far apart, but I think it's because his father was blacklisted in the 50s. Leo Penn, his dad, a sweet man, actor and a director. And I think he's picked up that because of the way that his father was treated way back then, called the communist and so many other things. So he's always for the little guy. Every opportunity right. he has, he's for the little guy. I, dis- I, I disagree with so many of the things because, as you know, I'm a conservative and he, of course, is well, I'm not quite sure what he is, you know. <laughs> but, uh, it could be a liberal. Uh, he certainly is pointed in that direction. But he's a good guy. He's a good guy, and and I trusted him immensely. One one incident occurred. Uh, we're back in New York City. It's in a book. I walk over to him. We're sitting, having something to eat in a restaurant on the West Side, and uh, you see, Hurley Burley was made into a movie. I didn't do the movie. They didn't choose me. They got Chaz Palmateri, uh, and uh, I don't know why that happened, but. I had the feeling when talking to Sean that Sean was somewhat upset about it. He was sitting there and wondering, should he bring it up? Should she? That's what I read. I don't know that to be a fact until I said it. So uh, I knew he wanted to apologize for me to me, and he did. He said, Danny, I'm sorry you didn't get the part. I had nothing to do with it. I couldn't do it. I said, don't worry. I saw the film. <laughs> and it was yeah. bad but uh, i wouldn't say i was happy because of that because sean was in i would have preferred to for it to have been you know terrific and sean really <coughs> acknowledged me as an actor and that made that made a good feeling for me because not everyone is about to tell you if he's an actor yeah that you're good or whatever you do you know it's it, he's made me feel good he's a good guy and he went through hell with madonna well he used to walk through this, you know, if we were on our way to the theater, you'd have the paparazzi, and then you'd have not the paparazzi, but other guys trying to lure him into a fight. They would say things like, I had your wife last night talking about Madonna. Yeah. So we're, do- we're walking to the theater, big line, my son Danny, may he rest in peace, a great stunt coordinator and stuntman, is like in front of us as we're walking. He wasn't stunting, he was just with us, going toward the theater. As he's gone, he heard this guy say that to Sean. I was, Danny hit the guy with a right hand and dropped him where he was. No one knew who hit him. It was just a straight and kept walking. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's no interruption. You walk, bing, down he goes, and you keep walking. Like, who did that? That's what was. And that was it. But Sean, Sean's a tough, yeah. tough kid. I'm sitting in uh, Cafe Columbus. Do you yeah. remember Columbus? Sure. All the actors. That's where we all hung out. And Barishnikov hung out. He owned a piece of the place. So many people. And one day I'm sitting, I'm talking with Mickey. I'm not dropping names. He drops my name, but I'm Mickey (laughs) Rock. Mickey and I are talking, and in walks Sean. Out of nowhere, he says, you ever fucking... You're allowed to say that. that. Yeah, you're fine. You ever fucking do that again, I'll rip your fucking ass. You ever say anything about my brother Chris again, I'll kill you. Apparently, something must have happened, because Mickey's a stand-up guy. I right. Mean, in terms of fight, he can fight. I know he might have been able to kick his ass. I don't know. But the way he attacked him, and, and Mickey took it like a man, so apparently he must have done something where he was guilty, where he would say, 
I can't do anything here because I was wrong. Right. That's the feeling I got with Mickey. But that's a tough kind of kid he is. I'm yeah, talking. I mean, I'm yeah. talking. That kid is Sean. He's a bitch. He's tough. Well, yeah. I mean, Mickey Rourke is a boxer yeah. and uh, that thing. And just to walk in and be ready to throw down, uh, that was amazing. You loved Sean, uh, Chris Penn. Yeah. So you loved Well, him. Chris, Chris played my son in the pickle, Paul Mazursky's movie. He was a sweet kid. Yeah. I love them dearly. I know his other brother, Michael. I'm talking about Sean's great. brother. Yeah, great singer. I didn't know Michael, but he's more of a musician. I loved his father and his mother, Elaine. They were like my family. The mothers, it's, here's an interesting thing, okay? Bobby De Niro, we all take him as an Italian, right? Yeah. He's an Italian. He's about this much Italian. Is that I, right? I got my fingers split <laughs> about an eighth of an inch, right? Sean Penn is more of an Italian than Bobby in terms of who, because Bobby's father was not total Italian. He was half of something else. And the mother was not at all Italian. So that's just a little infinitesimal point, a piece of Italian. But Sean's mother, Elaine, father Irish, Scotch Irish, whatever, yeah. and Elaine was Italian. The yeah, mother. Never so he's out. half Italian. No, it yeah. comes out that that kid is Italian. Um, as I said, you can sit here and listen to these stories. Uh, with Danny, and they're always great. I can tell you some dirty ones. <laughs> oh yeah, he's got If them I was all. a dirty kind of guy, but I'm not. Uh, but but uh, Fez is in there. Fez is in there telling me curse more, curse. I can't <laughs> do that, Fez. I'm I sorry, hear the Ron. dirty ones. <laughs> uh, Danny Aiello, the the book. I only know who I am when I'm someone else. There's so many great stories before acting, while he's acting, show business stories. But what comes through is the same thing that people say about Danny when they meet him on the street is that he's a warm guy and he's, you know, always outgoing to people. And, then, and of course, if anyone gives him the slightest bit of shit, he's ready to throw down. But as long as everybody's being respectful, it's going to be a nice day. But you have no problem if there is a problem. You bring it up with you and Bruce Willis. We're very, very good friends. I, I really like Bruce a lot. Yeah. He was a bouncer. He was not a bouncer. He was a bartender yeah. at the Cafe Central. I was acting at the time, and he went over to me a couple of times. Oh, God, some days I, he was studying acting. Yeah. He said, I hope someday we'll work together. So I took that as what actors say to me. Yeah, we'll work together. Oh, yeah, yeah. they never do. Very rarely does that happen. Bruce became a huge star. <clears throat> He's doing a movie called Hudson Hawk. Now, at that time, I was signed to do 29th Street, Anthony LaPaglia. It's my favorite movie. It's on my license plate, 29th Street. And uh, Anthony LaPaglia is uh, playing my son. I've signed to do 29th Street. I was making a lot of money to do 29th Street. We get a call from Joel uh, and uh, the producer of it and says, uh, I want Danny. He calls my agent and said, I like Danny in my movie. So he said, well, we can't. You're shooting same time 29th Street is. He said, did you hear what the fuck I said? I said, Danny, I want in a movie with Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis is a star. Do you understand what the fuck I said? And my boy Jimmy Cota, my agent, said, wait a minute. What? I just told you, Joel, that Danny is doing 29th Street. He's already signed. Do you understand? It's going the same time as your You're fucking fired. You're fired. You understand? He hangs up, calls up Joe Roth, 20th Century Fox studio boss and says Joel I want Danny Aiello he said well what are you talking about he signed it he's doing a movie 29 so we're in pre-production he said I want him on my he said listen I'm in a lot of money in pre-production I can't let him go how much are you in for 450,000 I'll give you the money give me Danny delay your picture for a while so 
Joe delayed the picture. Joel, I went to to do uh, Hudson Hawk with the uh, with my boy Bruce, and what happened was I got paid from two seven fifty and seven fifty seven hundred fifty dollars <laughs> from two pictures. All I was going to make was seven fifty and one, but because Joel opened up his mouth. Now we're getting along well, Bruce and I. We're shooting Hudson Hawk now. Hudson Hawk. You'll have to forgive me. I thought it was a piece of shit. I didn't know it at the time. I thought it was just, you know, some kind of a comedy. I didn't understand yeah. the comedy, how the writing was. It was kind of weird to me. You know, Sandra Bernhardt was yeah. in it. Wonderful. But it was like a weird kind of picture. And, and Brian Gumbel is, is, uh, he's interviewing me in Italy and he said, Danny, this, what is this comedy about? I said, you tell me. I have no fucking idea what it's about. I have no idea. Anyway, we're doing Now, there's a scene in Hudson Hawk. Incidentally, it's a cult favorite on yeah. the internet all over television. They love the movie. There's a scene where I'm in a limo. Sort of under arrest. I'm going, and it's going off a cliff. It's going. It goes off a cliff and goes into a ravine about 300 feet down. I'm a dead man. I'm completely dead. Finished. He says to me, "Danny, you know what I want you to do when you come out of the, because I come out alive." He said, <laughs> yeah, he said, "I want you to come out with your hair like electrified and smoke coming out of it." So politely, I said, "Bruce," because I love Bruce. I said, "Bruce." That's not funny. That's comedy time in the Rockies. That fucking Christopher <laughs> Lloyd did that in, in Back to the Future. I'm not going to do something another fucking actor did. So he says, I said, listen, you want to know what's funny, Bruce? My hair quaffed, quaffed after that big fall, quaffed, you understand? With smoke coming out of it. I said, that's funny. I'm paying you a million fucking dollars. It wasn't a million dollars. You know, it wasn't. So I said, I'll tell you what you do. Stick the fucking money up your ass. I'm not doing it. And I'm walking away. Joel Silva, who's the producer, one of the great presenters. What are you doing? He's a fucking star. You're going to do another movie with him. I don't give a fuck. Anyway, Bruce and I talk after that, and he tells me where his head was at, and I tell him where mine is at. I said, Bruce, you got the director on the set. He's directing. You're directing his shit. You, you can't do that. You're giving actors line readings. Do you know what happened? The guy gave me a line. I break his fucking head if he gave me a line reading, telling me how to say a line. That's what you did to me. You did it to me because, and I responded to you because you're my friend. You took advantage of me. He walks away in the middle of this heated discussion, and I throw a right hand to a fucking camp up. Bam! And I broke my hand. The fortunate thing is I didn't know my hand was broke. It was a simple fracture on the outside. It didn't even need a cast. But when I went home, that's when we found out it was broke. Here's the sadness. I loved the guy. I loved his mother. I loved his brother, his brothers. David was his producer. Bobby died prematurely, the poor kid. And it kills me. If I never worked with him again, that would have been all right. But I like Bruce. Bruce is a good guy. And this thing, you know, when you come into a setup, like contracts are the same way. When you're disagreeing on the contract, arguments sure. ensue. When you're doing a movie in between two actors, these things occur. And I said to him, why do you interfere so much with the director? I told the kid, the director, I said, why don't you quit? He says, quit? Not for the money I'm making. <laughs> Let him direct it. I don't give a shit. But, but anyway, that, that was it. And I just want to leave by, I said that yeah. in the book as well, that, that I, I really cared for Bruce. And he made himself a huge star, you know.
These are the kind of stories you get, Danny Aiello. I only know who I am when I'm someone else. Make sure you go out and say hi to Danny. You can see him at these uh, book signings. Tonight, bookends in Ridgewood, New Jersey. Then Wednesday, October 27th at Barnes & Noble in uh, Staten Island. And then Friday, October 24th at Barnes & Noble in the Upper West Side. And let's play some of your music. You get something new out too, right? Can I just say this to you? I just say that Barnes and Noble, I don't know if I mentioned to you, they read the galleys and yeah. all over the country I made the holiday table. I didn't know what that oh, meant. Oh, that's fantastic. The meaning October 28th to December 31st, we're in the front. That I'm excited when by it. When you're looking for Christmas presents there for whatever, is. this is perfect if there's, a, if there's a movie fan in your family, this is the book for him because the the backstage stuff and everything is just great. Yeah, and this the, you just mentioned the music. Yeah. yeah, this just came out. It's called Blues Times Two. Now a lot of people don't know that I do blues, but my boy, uh, my buddy Lou Baldinari, who does so many things for me, said you can do blues. You can do blues. So this is it. This is what's there. See you next time, Dan. Okay, I love you, and thank you, Fez. Thank you all. Thank you very much, Ron. say I got a temple when I'm in that way But I don't know who that person is That acts like a fool That's somebody else, Lord, I swear it ain't me I guess I'm my own worst enemy Cause I don't know who I am when I am somebody else family is fighting I don't want to be late cause I'm gonna tell them all about my past like I said that I would
revolver as I reach for the door. I grab my pistol, time to show these fools what time it is. Shows from previous episodes. Yeah, well, it's kind of like that. This is the best of Ron and Fez. Ron and Fez on Raw Dog Comedy Hits Channel 99. Better than all the rest. No contest, it's true. It is. I love you so much more. Than any knight in shining duds who ever pined for any princess on a pedestal above. <laughs> Dragon slayers. Why, that's puppy love. Yes, not even close. There he is singing like like a bird. <laughs> it's beautiful. That's our love. And who did you do that song with? That's with Paget Brewster. Nice. Yes. Our love. And you guys recorded that in. In 1903, which makes it just perfect. <laughs> it's re- they've really cleaned up the recording, yeah. and it sounds almost like it could have been within the last 10 years. Well, I will say this about you, sir. I haven't seen you since the time that you came in and did Unmasked. Mm-hmm. You are the best dressed and most attractive person in comedy today. <laughs> You know, and I'm staying away from other parts of show business because I don't know. I think you would do well, but you know what I mean. I I don't know if I could, I throw yeah. hip hop in. I wouldn't be an expert. <laughs> I would not want to put myself up against all the arts. Yes. <laughs> but you now, where were you before you came here today? I was at Comic Con. Now. You love the Comic Con, or is this I just do. a gig? Yeah. yeah, I was I was scared of it for the longest time. I lived uh-huh. in Los Angeles, had not gone, had not had any occasion to go to the one in San Diego for years and years and years until the Thrilling Adventure Hour, uh-huh. uh, which is what brings me here this time. And um, it was both everything that I was afraid it was going to be, right? But also uh, very nice. Like I don't do well with huge a huge crush of people, you know, in one space. Don't where like no, it myself. Yeah, don't like it myself. If if, the, if there was clearly defined lanes yeah. where people going this way walk in this line, yeah. you know, I would do well with that. But. You know what is fun, and I've had this in many rock shows, is to be sitting up on stage and looking down at the crush and like, those people are fucked up. They're crushing each other. <laughs> exactly. It's very interesting. Yeah. But when you're inside of the crush... Who wants to be in an ant farm? A yes. bunch of ants. <laughs> yes. That's who. You are true. You are I'm right. no ant, Ron. You are right. You're right about that. Yeah. Um... So you were worried about that. There was yes. a there was a Woody Allen documentary where he went out and played jazz, mm-hmm. and he's doing a uh, 
a thing, and you know, he's doing a press conference, and he says in the press conference, "Now I'm very claustrophobic, so when I get up to leave here, everyone, please walk back to the wall." And, and he had turned fear into like everyone just listened to him, right. and I'm like, "This is great if you just tell people, crush yourself up against the walls and let me walk through." <laughs> It was very like Moses. I want to start doing that. <laughs> yeah. Look, I have a crazy disorder, and you have to get out of my way. <laughs> now, do you feel like it's a disorder to hate being in a in a crowd? I think it, it depends on how uh, how it affects you. Yeah. If 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 you collapse into a heap, then probably you want to get some pills for that. The English are different from us. They will go to a rock show in mm-hmm. the field, stand there. For 12 hours mm-hmm. and be okay. Americans have got to keep moving around. We go back and forth. We don't just get in the pit and stay there. Yeah. I think British people are better at being drunk on their feet than American people yeah. are. And American people, they, the, the, look, the spirit moves us and we gotta, right. We, we gotta, gotta get around. Yeah. Know? We gotta, but, we gotta rock. Well, <laughs> we also, we haven't been blessed with the hive mind. Our, as children, we were told you're an individual. That's right. You have a right to go places first. We're as close as that you could get to be. Jewish without even like you would think that Americans are pushy until you come to New York and you're spending your time with a lot of Jews and you're like they're really pushy <laughs> they're really pushy uh, but we think I as an individual need something it's manifest destiny yeah it's I I have to get there it, it doesn't matter who I who's in the way the Lord wants it that's that's I'm right getting this for the Lord that's right um, so you go to this Comic Con even though, I'm going to be honest with you, this thing that you do is not a comic. You know what I mean? It's not a... It has become one. It is now. Yeah, it started out as a live show, and the whole reason we were able to go to Comic-Con was because they made a graphic novel. Um, and uh, it turns out that's all you need. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's your end. <laughs> yeah. so, um, but, and, and now it's going to be, it was just announced that there's going to be, spinning out from the show, there's going to be two ongoing comic series, comic book series right. that are coming out of the show. No, you love these kind of shows to do, too. The- it's so much fun. It's, it's, the Thrilling Adventure Hour is a, is a live fake radio show. It's a, it's uh-huh. a podcast, but it started out as a live stage show. Um, and uh, we just show up and we read the scripts. Right. I mean, we get them ahead of time. We put something into it. <laughs> yeah. if, in case you're wondering about coming to the show, it's it's not just a cold read by a bunch of lazy actors. But you can have the script in your hand. Yeah, we hold the scripts in our hands. Which... And, yeah makes sense because if you if you've ever been to a play the person's holding the script it takes you out you should get your these. money back yeah, yeah. Uh, that that's just uh, this is just a showbiz inside tip yeah if you go to a play and the actors are holding their scripts you should get your money back see i went to a play recently mm-hmm. and it was a play about stand-up and only one actor was holding the script and uh it's farley's brother i don't know his actual name kevin, kevin. farley yeah kevin farley and uh, we I'm have sure, two confirmations on it. Yes, Kevin Farley's backed right. up. We I'm, sure I'm sure he's a wonderful man and a, and a competent actor. But by the end of it, I wanted to scream at him. Everyone else has learned their lines, Kevin. How is this possible? 
<laughs> like the one thing about a play yes. is you, Thank you. all we ask is yeah. please learn the lines. Right. And I'm glad that you said that because I I I leaned over to my chick and said, How is this possible? Like I but I was angry with it. I was angry like this is destroying the night for me. And all the other comics are up there dancing around, they had learned their bits and they were <laughs> trying so hard they were. It was a muse it's called Ha the Musical. And it's uh, well, it's going to be playing as part of the the, the New York comedy, comedy festival. Fe- yeah, New York comedy yeah. festival. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it's like seeing a wonderful. Uh, I don't. Know, there's a, a picture of it there. That's all the. Uh, oh, no script in his hand in the picture. Yeah, there, <laughs> so, and that's why I went in. I saw that picture and I said, uh, <laughs> this, looks, "This looks prepared." I mean, because I, I was going to ask, did somebody drop out that day? No. But he's in the promo picture. Yeah. But he probably should have held a script in the promo picture. Yeah, he would have gotten away with it. Yeah. I also heard that there were some women who were uh, heckling and stuff like that, and they were his Tinder dates. So <laughs> he, I don't, I think if this thing goes to Broadway, he has to be replaced. <laughs> but Luis J. Gomez learned his lines. Yeah. Uh, Big J. Ogerson learned his lines. I mean, these are people that don't necessarily have a theater background, but are ready. Yeah. Yeah. I, if you can commit words to memory, you will do better, I think, in the world of theater than if you can't. Um, that's, that's this is why insane. you should write a book, dude. What? You should write an acting book. <laughs> <laughs> the tips the tips that you have. It's simpler than people think. <laughs> that's tip number one. It's simpler than you think. <laughs> Get it down. Remember it. Then, how... Yeah. I mean, and there was no announcement. Like, there was yeah. no, like, by the way, everyone, Kevin Farley has had very little time with the script. No. Uh, there was an announcement, and it was, doesn't he look like his brother? You know what I mean? Because we're all excited to see that. You know, we're like, oh, we really miss Chris. Don't concentrate on any paper that he might have in his hands, but just take a look at that face. And he even struggled with some of the reading. I mean, it was like... <laughs> it was like... Remember, like, about 10th grade when somebody would struggle with reading, and, and that was the time you start to laugh? Like, no one laughed in yeah. third grade. Yeah, yeah. But by 10th grade, you've got to know what words are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you're playing... Uh, what's the club that you're playing here? It's the Bell House in okay. Brooklyn. Yeah. No, I'm going to tell you about the Bell House. Oh, all right. Some people are now calling it the East Coast Largo. And that's something that you are somewhat famous for, your time at Largo. Yes. And I think that's a fair comparison, actually. The the Bell House has been um, a a great place to play. I've I've done a bunch of different shows there over Uh, the last years, and it really felt like home right away. The the vibe that they have there is really nice, and it's very much like Largo in Los Angeles, which was a little nightclub that became um, moved to a theater space um, and is a place where the, um, the, the focus is on uh, the show as opposed to partying right you know where like the, the the way it's set up by the people that run these places is that it's all about the performers and you're there to see this great thing we bring we bring what we think is great talent in here mm-hmm. and then the idea is that you're supposed to enjoy it right and that's the reason we're all here and there is I mean not only great comedic talent but there's great singers Absolutely. And there's, uh, it hits a, a certain thing of being what would be like the perfect night out yeah but you would wonder why more 
people don't think that way. Yeah, it's yeah. it's, and I think it, it really, it, it, you know, it, it really comes from the uh, the people that run these venues, and I, I think that the problem with with running a, a a a performance venue is that you find yourself in the bar business, right? And then you have to worry about being in the bar business, yeah. And that I think can take over everything that you're doing if you're not if you don't make a a concerted effort to not be in the bar business, yeah. But just have a place that also has a bar, you know. It, it, it's a it's a tough thing because I owned a club, I owned a comedy club in Florida, and there was a certain comedian, and he was god awful. But eighteen times during the show, he would go, "Let's all do a shot, everyone buy a shot." <laughs> exactly. And at the end of the night, we we're like, "Look, our liquor t- sales have spiked." <laughs> Maybe we should have him back, but sort of like after, like we would, like you realize he's ruining our club because these people come back, they scream, you know. But every time we brought him back, we would have our best week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very rare that a great comedian like Bob Newhart has not stopped his show, screamed at the waitresses, bring shots for everybody. And I'd love you, to see that, though. Yeah, but it was always funny. Like, the next day, we're like, that was an awful show, but look how many shots. <laughs> we sold 2,000 shots last night. How many were Jaeger? <laughs> 90%? Yeah, there were a lot of Jaeger. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. It was Florida, so Jaeger was big there. Matter of fact, a lot of people would name their kids Jaeger. I met a lot of kids named These Jaeger. These are the twins, Jaeger and Rumpelmans? Yeah. Well, there was always every, every family down there were like this. Those are all the boys, Skinner. <laughs> And we're like, yeah, it's a great name. I hear it a lot. Skinner in Florida is like being named Pete most places. Skinner? Skinner. They would name him after the band, Leonard Skinner. And uh, it was always this, and I would mean, he's a little rocker. He is. Yeah. He's a rocker. Sure he is. Yeah. <laughs> Even in the crib, we just, you know, just press the speakers up against him and blast Skinner. Guys, it's like how they brought down Noriega. (laughs) Well, they thought this kid would never crack the way Noriega did. Because he was raised that way. There's certain bands that really play better, like Jersey with Bruce. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That they're extra proud of them. Right. And Skinner is in the hearts of people in Florida. They're mad for those boys. And they all they all remember where they were when the plane went down. You know what I mean? That's, sure. Or as they call it, their 9-11. The first 9-11. <laughs> Things are better since the Troubles. Yeah, it is. The Troubles. Uh, so this gig is going to be a lot of fun. How many people are on stage? Oh, about a million. About a million. It's a, it's a lot of people. It's a lot, yeah. and, and when we do the New York shows, we, we always... They, the guys, the guys who produce the show, Ben Acker and Ben Blacker, they uh, tend to uh, get as many of our New York friends on there as possible. And uh, so, yeah, there's probably going to be about, <laughs> I think, over twenty people. Is that right? Yeah, I think we'll have over twenty. And this does set up the after-show dinner, I guess. That starts to be part of it. <laughs> yeah. <that's laughs> yeah. <right>. There'll also <laughs> be some Jaeger there that's right. as well. No doubt. And there's drinking yeah. during the show. I that's think we actually days. get drunker probably on stage than uh, the audience does. But it's sophisticated drinking. It's it's, this is what drinking, I'm saying, Ron. You know? It's pinkies out all the yeah. way. There's a shaker going there. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, that's fresh. There's fresh mint in there. <laughs> The uh, 
you know, bars now with this whole new, what do they call it? Mixology? It, yeah, yeah, but it's, but it's taken on the artisanal type mm-hmm. thing. And they're explaining the drink. And it's a very difficult thing to be an alcoholic waiting for people to explain. You're just like, poor, 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 poor. Yeah. Stop it, telling me about both. it. You can yeah. do both at the same time. Yeah. You can talk and mix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm at, yeah, I'm at the point where I could, I could snort the coke even before you crush it up. I'm fine. <laughs> I just want I want to stop shaking is what I want to do. I've never been that into the cocktail culture. Like I I usually am either a beer or wine yeah. or like my I like drinks where the ingredients are in the name. Right. You know what I mean? Um, like a rum and coke you're fine with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, a screwdriver is about as exotic as I get. <laughs> um, but uh, the the whole the whole explanation of everything yeah. is where it loses me. That because I, I realize, like, I'm not that interested. Well, I, I've been a long cigar smoker, and people mm. will—I'll be smoking a cigar, and somebody will come over and say, "What are you smoking?" And I'll go, "My own business. That's what I'm having here. <laughs> I'm not smoking this to discuss it with you, or what part yeah. of the fucking Caribbean this came from. I'm just smoking a cigar so I won't drink and take drugs. Right. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm trying to make another bad habit for myself. <laughs> but they want." to go on and on, and there's nothing to discuss. Yeah. I mean, if anything, you would, you know, talk about eating a hoagie and go on, like, why you're eating it, you well, know? It's when you're, when you're discussing any kind of uh, sensory input yeah. that you can't uh, participate in at the time, what is the point of that? So when people want to talk about wine that yeah. you're not drinking, right? Like, well, this is who cares? It's like when people put Instagram uh, pictures of food. Yeah, it's like I I love a sunset. I love a baby <laughs> picture. I love a pet in a costume. Yeah, but your food pictures, I I can't. I can't experience that. Right. And also, your pictures are not that great. <laughs> no. And you just put out a picture of an oyster. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm seeing yeah. an oyster yeah. before. Having this now. <laughs> Fantastic. Congratulations to you. There are some restaurants now who say, do not take pictures of the food. That's really? The, yeah, that's not why you're here. Well, we uh, they just did this thing where the restaurants are not turning over tables as fast as mm-hmm. they used to because people are sitting and and taking pictures of the food <laughs> instead of eating the food and then leaving. There's changing lighting around so they can take a picture of a salami. <laughs> a, a salami. <laughs> and that that has changed over our lifetime. Who knew? I mean, was there a there was like maybe three famous chefs. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, you had like uh, Julia Child, the Galloping Gourmet. Maybe that was it. I don't know yeah. if there was anyone else. And now most places say they have a, a rock star chef, a famous chef. Yeah. What I I was there just not that many food combinations years ago because I can't imagine people having these discussions about food Mm-mm. like like just the the average person now wants to talk about food and considers themselves a foodie or whatever right and it's just like where back then i guess it was just ham and cheese sandwiches <laughs> or a roast chicken and that was it breakfast was breakfast you yeah. had eggs and bacon there would always the be end. um well like 
I think right up to the eighties. Like <laughs> if you went to anything for work, it would be steak or lobster. What do you you know? You had to fill it out yeah. before the Christmas dinner. Right. And then my mom would be like, "They're having a capon," and I would I'd be like, "What is that? <laughs> Some cheese in the middle of the, of the chicken?" And, you know. And I remember my parents would be all uh, dialed up, dialed up, and leave the house, and then they would come back, and my dad would be like, "Great steak." I mean, I never. He never <laughs> That's the review. <laughs> he never had a problem yeah. saying, like, I did not like that steak that I got. He was incredibly satisfied with a steak of any kind. Yeah. 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 But, the, like, the idea of discussing food to the, to the degree to which people discuss it now, yeah. you would be the most pretentious asshole in the world. Yeah. If somebody started talking to you about the finer points of this meal that they just had, like, what yeah. are you doing? We're done eating. No, that experience is over. People used to discuss food the way Jim Gaffigan does now. You know what I mean? Like, it's delicious. Can I have some more? Are, we, was... are we becoming a nation of Jim Gaffigans? <laughs> That's something Obama, about it too much. Obama should look right into uh, the camera. <laughs> well, you know, his wife has tried to tell us to slow down on eating, and people act like she's, you know, a monster for it. You know? <laughs> know. She wants our fat kids to move. Yeah. Who is she to tell us <laughs> yeah. we shouldn't feed our kids garbage? <laughs> <laughs> there is. Did they put up the picture of school uh, school lunches from around the world on the iBang? Did that uh, go up yet? Because I know it was supposed to. Well, I know you're a Philadelphia guy, right? Yes. You grew up there. Yeah. Did you ever have a good school lunch? Was there ever a time that you no? Said, I, yeah. To me, the delicacy at my high school was. Uh, I think it was like Wednesdays they would have uh, what was called hot cheese on a roll. <laughs> and that's what it was. It was a Kaiser roll with melted American cheese in it. And I'm, oh, I can't wait. It is hot cheese on a roll day. See, I think, I think to not even call it grilled cheese because yeah. we're not grilling. Nope. We've melted some cheese and we're pouring it on a Kaiser roll. Yeah. And that was, oh, finally I can eat. Oh, it's yeah. not like the other days. Now, Chris, you were here in New York. Did they ever have good lunches? Uh, no, but tear tot day was always very exciting. That was <laughs> yeah. the thing that everyone cared about. But it was always terrible. Just awful pizza, awful yeah. burgers. Oh, the pizza. School pizza. Is there anything worse? It's no. it's it's oh. kind of like Wonder Bread with some melted yeah. cheese yeah. on it. Um, and it's funny because they act like, well, this is better for you. And we knew that they were lying. We <laughs> yeah. knew that there was nothing nutritional. This has bad school lunches from all around the world. And you can play it a little bit of it with the sound down, Chris. I don't even think we need to see it. But you've got the American... Uh, Lunch that we're all well. What are we starting with? England couldn't eat that. That looks <laughs> frightening. That. that looks frightening. America, they 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 went with a PB and J with an apple. Lucky yeah, I never that. got that at my school. No, that's like that's yeah, from home. Some of these are just a lot of rice that they <laughs> that they give the children. Oh, Norway, that's grim. Yeah, Norway is scary. Yeah, Norway is scary. Y'all get. Oh. More rice for Nigeria. I can't imagine anywhere in the... What? <laughs> France? <laughs> Several courses. <laughs> what? France. France, the school, school lunch is three four, and a half hours. Four courses. <laughs> Tasting menu. With a bottle <laughs> three, of wine. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> and cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> the teachers all go off and have their affairs. 
Oh, there was nothing better than thinking that any two teachers were hooking up in school. That was the excitement level. Boy, that of never thinking. I don't know if that never occurred to me or yeah. if they just hit it very well. We would always try to guess who was spending too much time yeah. with who. Um they were to me like when I was especially a little kid, like I guess it is for some people to discuss the royal family. At <laughs> you know what I mean? What are they up to? You know, when people aren't around they live like animals. <laughs> The, I remember there was a, a geometry teacher that I had that must have been in his 20s. Mm-hmm. And this was his first, clearly his first teacher. This is like, all, I realized all this later. And like, this guy would show up super hungover. And there were days where it's just like, all right, um, uh, I'm going to put a problem up on the board <laughs> and uh, you solve it. And um, you can take the whole class to solve it if you want. And. Uh, I will, uh, and just uh, pass it in at the end of the period. Yeah. <laughs> you would sort of try not to put his head down on the desk, yeah. but try to, I think, like make it look like he was looking at something, <laughs> but pass out <laughs> in an upright position. And I, I realized like later, like, oh, that guy, when I, when I was a man in my 20s, yeah. and I was showing up to things, yeah. clearly hung over and still smelling of alcohol from the night before, I was like, oh, I get it now. He, this is adult life. Yeah, he was suffering. He wasn't <laughs> yeah. like, to you, it's the funniest thing that could ever happen. But this is a man who had to drink <laughs> yeah. to come in and do his job. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. He had to drink to do that. Exactly. I, I, uh, well, I'm from Delaware County originally, and a lot of factories along there, and go Going to school in the morning on the school bus and seeing the shifts change and seeing guys go in to do oh, shots oh. before they could go into Scott Paper or wherever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you were like, man, adult life must be just awful. <laughs> just awful. You know, it was a nightmare for those guys. They would just have to drink to know they would go into that place for the next eight, <laughs> exactly. ten hours. A little Dutch courage. Yeah. <laughs> go on the line for <laughs> 10 hours. Yeah. Hopefully uh, go home with all their limbs intact. Yeah. Well, what you want to do is be injured, but not too bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Get the type yeah. of thing that will get you a doctor's notice, but yeah. not lose a finger. <laughs> so you can still bowl in the league. There, yeah. There's very rare in radio that they'll put up a sign of how many days it's been since the last injury. You know? <laughs> <laughs> at, at my my dad's thing, if they could go so long without an injury, everybody would get like a frozen turkey yep. or something like that. Right? <laughs> nice. There would be some kind of gift, and he would always come back, and he goes like this: "Oh, Jesus Christ! Bernie Fell's father ruined it for everybody because <laughs> no Thanksgiving it, this year. <laughs> yeah, son of a bitch couldn't keep his goddamn fingers in. But the but that was the other funny thing about that town is like you would go to school with the kids, and the dads, most of them would go at least to about eight to ten different factories, mm-hmm. you know, so they would know each other. You're, right. The parents would know each other for many, many years. <laughs> and they all just, they were living like a Springsteen song, but one of the sadder ones. You know what I mean? Like when racing in the street didn't turn out as good as you wanted it to. I like when they started calling it a lost time accident. Right. Like, oh, we lost, we lost some time <laughs> in the workday because yeah. this guy's head got chopped off. Yeah. I got my I got my hand stuck in a 
what was on the line, right, itself. Mm. And th- they would have the rollers and then this, like, little rubber thing that goes And I came in uh, drunk and hungover from the night after, mm-hmm. tried to get on top of it by eating some speed. You know what I mean? Sure, absolutely. Kick it in. Just get out ahead of it. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> so now I was like a drunk guy that was working too fast. <laughs> the <laughs> fastest <laughs> drunk alive. Just like, let me get it <laughs> And ran my, ran my hand through that thing and oh. stopped the entire line oh, stopped it all God. Oh, how long did it take to get your hand out of there it they acted like it was the first time this has happened and most <laughs> of the people just came over and looked and one guy was like running around and trying to do stuff he was like he should have been a fireman but he, <laughs> he springs my my hand out of that and it had flattened like in a flintstone oh. and then just swelled up to the enormous and once it hit the swelling i felt my legs buckle and i almost went down for a second and then said something like i'm good to finish you know something really stupid you know what i mean like i thought was like i'm gonna cover for this and they're like no you're not you're off to the hospital no fucking turkey though thanks <laughs> but you know that was not that weird a thing in that place no, you know really people wasn't. would get injured yeah yeah and and now uh, people rarely get hurt at work i had a friend my my brother-in-law's dad uh and it was up in philly it was like one of the exxon one of those crazy oil refineries mm-hmm. there was an explosion and nothing of him was found nothing of him was found and people acted like yeah that happens. You know what I mean? That's, <laughs> That's as now. if work in Vietnam were the same thing. <laughs> yeah, every once in a while, someone uh, disintegrates. Yeah. There, there's, <laughs> it's just, there's an accident, just, and then that person, it's like they never existed on this earth. He's just gone. Yeah. He's just gone. <laughs> Paul Tompkins is in studio, and he's going to be part of the thrilling adventure hour. <laughs> that note, it's happening at the Bell you House. Know, you never give a good, there's no place to really give a plug. We were just at a death. I know. Yeah. But then people should go to the thrilling adventure hour. It's happening at the Bell House in Brooklyn this Friday, October 10th, and Saturday, October 11th. Tickets will be available at the door. Go to thrillingadventurehour.com for additional dates and more information. I'd like to promise you won't die in an explosion, but it's yeah. very close to the Gowanus Canal. <laughs> so is. who knows? It is close there. I cannot make that I, promise. Chris, like in the future, do your plugs without so much anger. It oh. seemed like you were just <laughs> screaming at the audience. I thought it was being like energetic. Oh, I didn't think of it that way. Yeah, yeah and so yeah. Like angry. No, I want them to go, but it's not a threatening matter. Well, I always say when we have a uh, guest and berate the audience three or four times <laughs> to go out. But you, you have one of those careers that seems like a fun career. It is. Because you're not locked into any one thing. No, I, I've been lucky enough to have uh, uh, to get to do a lot of fun things over the course of you know a couple decades now, and it's been uh, it's been pretty amazing. And I still have like there's a, a couple steady things that are happening right now yeah. that are kind of under the radar. So it's like I host this weird show on this network that no one has, uh-huh. um, where I uh, am doing a meet the press show with puppets, and yeah. uh, that's like this weird job that i have that no one's aware of and then, so and then i get to come here and do you know these these things for no money but an enormous amount of fun and yeah it's it's not bad it's a pretty good life but it's not one that you could have planned on you no. could not have sat down i and can't said, plan on it now <laughs> yeah do, do you ever think that like where will i be in 
Is yeah, this going to keep know, going? There's, there's, a, there's a certain amount of, uh, you know, in, in businesses like we're in, there's a certain amount of uh, trust that you just have that yeah. it's all going to work out. And uh, I, I think uh, as I get older, I go through periods where I uh, panic. Like, well, that's a ridiculous way to live. You can't live that way. Yeah. I'm a grown man. And then come back around to like, eh, what are you going to do? It's right. too late now. I mean, you know, this is it. Yeah, this it is. is what I do. Now, I had Jackson Brown in the other day and he's like, you know, I, I have, he goes, the guys I take out on the road, you know, guys I've known forever. And he goes, you know, they're all in their mid sixties and, um, Still working check to check. Uh, it's a little scary in music. You know, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it always has been, but that used to be great. Yeah. It used to be like, this is great. I'm on the road. Mm -hmm. I'm 30. What could be better? Yeah. Yeah. And now, 60, 65. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, he's up there, you know, he's singing, take it easy. And the drummer's going, like, what's going to happen to me? You know? <laughs> what is going to <laughs> What's going to happen to my wife? Insurance. <laughs> I have nothing. There's nothing. If I get sick and he's just walking around. You're going to replace me. Yeah. All this shit that your dad told you yeah. 45 fucking years ago. There's no future in music. What do I care? <laughs> That's the that's life though. That's the the odd thing of life. But you are right, there's the picture of you there uh, with the puppets. By the way, you just missed the entire cast of Sesame I heard, Street yeah. out there, and it's yeah. like old school Sesame yeah, Street, right? The real guys, the real the real Oscar the Grouch, yeah, the real Big Bird. And was uh, Gordon here? Yeah, no, didn't. Uh, Gordon's not. Uh, is he no longer with us? Well, he is. He's not doing well. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. Yeah. That. His partner called and said he's thinking of every. No, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> but I always thought that Gordon had a partner or a friend that he shared an apartment with. Because <laughs> they, would, they wouldn't be straight up in those days. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't Gordon married to Susan? I thought they were a couple. Is that right? Was was Susan his Am I beard? Wrong about that? Yeah. Was Susan his beard? Well, you know, Gordon's clearly gay. Yeah. Did you ever have an uncle who used to bring friends to you know, that's his buddy he wants to bring him to Thanksgiving this year. <laughs> it would be like, you know, New Year's Eve and just two guys would lean over and look at each other in the eye and shake hands. <laughs> you're a good friend to me. You are yes. here at midnight. <laughs> you're a wonderful companion. I'm sure we'll have many years of our friendship. <laughs> they love it. They love to cook together. You know, they both just travel buddies. and collect things. They just, they're just close friends. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, they'll get mad if another friend is around and they'll start to yell at each other. They're that close. Uh, here's uh, Clay. Clay in Indiana. You're on the Run of Fest show. Oh, hey. How you doing? Good. I was just listening to Paul F. Tompkins on a, on a comedy Bang Bang podcast, and I was a little surprised when I got in my car and heard you were on the radio. Um, what I was telling you think that he limits himself, and I would never go on the radio. <laughs> no, no I, I was just surprised. Yeah, I'm all around you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just telling the screener. Um, I used to drive for the Amish. The Amish people on their construction crews will have trucks. Obviously, they need them, um, and I would drive them around southern Indiana and Ohio. And the Amish, they don't have radios in their trucks, so I would listen to podcasts. And uh, they started listening with me, and they love Paul F. Tompkins. <laughs> yes. That's a core of his they, audience, they, the Amish. They, well, we they, just love, yeah. they loved your your podcast. They, they didn't know 
any of the voices, any of the people who they were. They don't know who Gary Marshall is or Ice T. They have no idea, but they, they just they just thought it was fantastic. <laughs> I thought if you ever came to Bloomington, I would you know maybe get some of them and we could go see a, at a show. Are they allowed to pay money to see live entertainment? Oh. Uh, I, I, well, See, know, I don't think these are Amish if they were in a truck to begin with. They're probably Mennonites. Mennonites? Yeah. No, these are Amish. I, but they, how would they, they have uh, a truck? They have to be in a horse and buggy. No, no. They, you, you gotta, if you live with them, you'll know some. They, they will buy a truck. And they don't drive it ever. They have a, a guy on the construction crew that drives it. For. And do they take the radio out? They, they, they pay extra to not get it. They pay extra <laughs> to not get it. How much yeah, do they pay not to get a spare tire? On. They just they have it removed. Yes, it's not there. How is the truck okay, but not the radio? <laughs> I well, they don't ever drive the truck. They don't. Ever no, no. Look, I out. understand they don't drive yeah. the truck, but I'm saying if you get the truck and you're not going to drive it. And you're going to get somebody else to drive it. You're What's tr- the difference if the radio's in there? If you're not going to turn it on. They're trying to fool God, so God will look <laughs> down and not see exactly what they're up to. God sounds pretty dumb. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> dumb God. Yeah. He's a real stooge, that one. You can fool him with loopholes. <laughs> you said, you said don't drive a truck, yeah, not don't own a truck. Everything with this God is like a Willy Wonka test. Yeah. Like, ah, you figured it out. Stand by for more of the best of Ron and Fez. Ron and Fez on Raw Dog. Raw Dog.